0: Kev, you've known me for years. Have I ever, no. ever passed on the opportunity no. to say, I told you so, I told you so? Humble and in vocabulary. No. I, I mean, look, I'm, I've am i been 5'5 five, five and shabby my entire life. I've never been athletic. I've never really been good at anything. So, yes, maybe it's that little man syndrome that everyone accuses me of having. But you know what? When I do find an opportunity to say, I told you so, you damn right I'm going to tell you, I told you so. So, Kev, I need you. To snap out of your your funk, man. Like Me? I know this place could bring you down, but come on, in the next three hours, man. They're just uh, uh, well, anything you want to talk about, we'll talk about. Just put, you know, show them pearly whites right here on the camera because we're live on Facebook, we're live on YouTube. There you go. That's a fake Hi, ass. My there, there you go. There you go. <laughs> uh, but again, happy. I almost said Wednesday, but oh, okay. Ron Howard, right off the bat, says you're a tool. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh. White. I mean, I don't think he meant Bring you. I, think, uh, I I don't think he called you a tool. Uh, well, usually, he loves me. Any name calling on this show is usually directed at me. So there you go. Justin Nichols said, "Think we have been here this all off season? Just saying, huh?" Retype that so I can I I, I can make sure I understand what you're trying to say. Uh, now he's saying, "I think we have been hearing this all off season." Hearing what all off season? All about the Browns, probably. Oh, yeah, but now I just have an article to confirm it. Ah, you have the backup, you have the
1: ammunition, gotcha.
0: Last night, if you missed it, the Reds came away with a very impressive win over the Phillies. And, of course, it was capped off and highlighted by a 7-RBI night from Nick Castellanos. And, of course, the highlighted Grand Slam, which turned things around. Check it out.
2: The 0-1 from Phillies. Line drive, left center field, Herrera on the run, ain't gonna get it, nobody's gonna get it! That is a grand
0: slam for Nick Castellanos! 6-4. Kev is a starter, which by the way, he's second amongst National League outfielders, Jesse Winker coming in at number three. But this dude, right now, is really putting on a performance that we, if he does remain with the Reds and the Reds remain competitive and the Reds front office decides to make some moves at the deadline... We could be talking about Nick Castellanos as an MVP candidate. by the. I mean, he is right now, but right. I'm not putting stock into it just because we've got to see this play continue after the All-Star game. But uh, right now, he's not showing any signs of slowing down whatsoever because this is him picking up where he left off even last season. The dude's just unbelievable. Seven RBI night to career high, hitting three forty seven on the season. And Kev, what's interesting, he's a career two seventy-nine hitter, and he's hitting three forty seven right now, and that just seems to continue to go up and up. On a season where offense has been so bad that they've had to all of a sudden crack down on the sticky tack and everything else, that the you know offensive numbers are in the basement. I mean, they are low, low across the board, and yet you have two guys having career seasons through the midst of one of the worst offensive seasons in the history of Major League Baseball. Jesse Winker, Nick Castellanos, continuing to hit the snot out of the ball. And now that there's less snot on the ball, they're gonna be getting more hittable pitches. And that's what we saw last night. Three for five, seven RBIs. That made it six to four, Kev. The Reds would go on to win twelve to four. They piled it on the Phillies uh and improved to thirty nine and thirty eight on the season.
1: These are the type of wins you want. You want a, this was a makeup game for that one rain delay. So you get this game right before you got your three game series versus Padres. You're hoping to carry that good momentum into the next series versus the Padres because, you know, they went out to San Diego and things didn't go our way. So now they're back on our home turf. You're feeling good about a, a victory over the Phillies in convincing fashion. You're hoping the bats stay hot
0: tonight. Here's one thing I thought about, and this is, this would be pretty demoralizing for Reds fans if this ended up happening. Last year we saw the very first ever Cy Young Award winner for the Cincinnati Reds in Trevor Bauer. Wins the Cy Young, Bounces. Imagine if Nick Castellanos does the same thing in back-to-back seasons. Where if, if, if I mean, I think that would be pretty demoralizing for Reds fans. It would be very demoralizing for me if Nick Castellanos goes on. Uh, and let's say he doesn't even win an MVP, but let's say he finishes at this pace. I mean, right now he has 15 home runs, already has 50 RBIs, uh, hitting .347. I mean, this would be his best season ever, and a season that the Reds desperately needed. But it goes beyond the numbers. I'm not a big. I mean, yes, numbers matter. Of all the sports out there, every numbers matter for every sport, but baseball they live and die by the numbers. But Nick Castellanos, you can be a you can have the numbers, but if you're just a dull personality that doesn't rally the troops, that the fans don't get behind, that the organization doesn't get behind, then you're it is what it is. But he, there's a flair about his game. Mm-hmm. There's something about Nick Castellanos that just that even Jesse Winker, who I've really, I mean, he's proven me wrong again. Another situation where. I, if I'm going to be wrong, I will gladly be wrong about my teams when it comes to me picking them to lose and them winning. This is why I said my sports betting advice for everybody out there is, is I always bet against my team because no matter what, I will go to bed happy at night. If I bet against my team and my and the team I pick to win wins and my team loses, I at least go to bed with more money in my account than when I woke up. If I lose my money, that means I'm going to bed with my team Picking up a big win, you go to bed happy, no matter what, so always bet against your team folks i 'm telling you that is the the, the the key to happiness is betting against your team, but the jesse winker 's proven me wrong, and I think he has a cool personality too that fans are gravitating towards, but there 's just something right now about nick castellano 's he 's providing a spark uh, attendance right now is higher than it 's ever not higher than it 's ever been, but it 's higher than it has been in recent seasons since you know they hit the reset button in thirteen, and I think a lot of that has to do with Nick castellano 's being that surge of energy. Worst bullpen in baseball, uh, you know, very up-and-down team. Sometimes it's frustrating to try to get behind them, but the one guy that you could not be frustrated getting behind is Nick Castellanos right now, who's just killing it.
1: Killing it, and these are the type of games that you want to have going into the All-Star break. He's hot right now, and like you talked about, he has that flair. And, you know, we could talk about, like, guys in baseball who put up crazy numbers, like uh, Mike Trout and everything like that, but he doesn't have that flair. Like, nobody, like, knows who he is, but everybody in Cincinnati knows exactly who Cassianos is. And, you know, the flair, like, that sales. Like, even if – just say the Reds go off the deep end. Hopefully not. As long as he's playing well – you give the fans something to watch a, a person that they're willing to spend their hard-earned money on to go down to the ballpark. So the flair is definitely there. Obviously, the wins are there right now. You know, granted, the team is basically like a 500 team. But, you know, all in all, that's what you want, man. That's what you want, especially in the summertime, man. You want a reason to continue to go to the ballpark. You want a reason to continue to tune in and go down there and sweat like an MF down there, like it was hot yesterday. No so, shouts out all the fans who who stuck it out, and they were rewarded
0: with a big time win. Yeah, it's been fun watching uh, Great American Ballpark be a lot uh, more uh, attended, I guess, if that's how you want to word it. Uh, but a lot of asses and a lot of seats. And uh, you could definitely feel the energy just watching at home or listening mm-hmm. on the radio. So that's always something fun as well. Doug, I wasn't watching. Were you watching? I am oh, watching. Oh, yeah. fancy pants. Yeah, uh, I figured it out. Let's oh, just leave yeah. it at that. I figured it out how to watch the Reds. Let's just leave it at that. Doug Toby says, what do you mean you're not good at anything? You are the best troll I have ever known. <laughs> well, it's like they say. Everyone's got to be good at one thing. I mean, everyone has to be the best at something, right? Like, so there you go. Um, it got me to thinking, and uh, shout out to Mark Schlemmer, who I know is tuning in right now. Just want you know he's Slim. he's pointing out your right state clothes. He said, uh, you, you know, Kev wearing Kenner's clothes, the right state clothes. So there you go. But uh, I took a break from right state and sporting the the Buckeyes today. Oh, Ohio State, Duke, Mike shashevsky farewell tour. I'm still jacked about that. I'm still thinking about that today. So there you go. But and then of course Shaw having to give Doug Toby the sign of approval. Doug Toby, damn straight. Delo- you know, okay, I, I'm a, I'm the best troll ever. There you go. I finally made it. I, I'm finally. Made my mark on something. But I want to say this. I was talking about Schlemmer earlier today, and we got to talk about Nick Castellanos. I remember Schlemmer was adamantly against the the Reds getting Nick Castellanos, and he even said, oh, man, I was wrong about that. Uh, He was even wrong about Winker. We were both wrong about uh, Winker and, of course, Nick Castellanos. But the one thing that is interesting is now you have Nick Castellanos, who is 29 years old. Jesse Winker is 27 years old. Both are having breakout seasons, and both have the fans – Absolutely just jacked right now about Reds baseball because of these two. And the Reds have a decision to make. They have a, the first decision they have to make is what to do with Nick Castellanos. I don't think he's going to be a trade deadline move mainly because you're not going to get a lot back. I mean, for how good he is, you're not going to get the exact value that he probably has just because of what's left on his contract. They don't have leverage there. Mm-hmm. He would be a nice addition for a lot of teams who are on the brink. Uh, but I think that the Reds right now know that they, if they keep him, he, he's their best shot of keeping them relevant in that division and having an, at least a you know, a puncher's, uh, a fighter's shot of actually you know getting to the postseason and winning that division. Still a possibility. Brewer's playing really good ball right now, though. But if it comes down to it, when Joey Votto signed his 10-year max deal with the Cincinnati Reds back in 2012, he was 27 years old as well. And I, I've been asking, I've been wondering, when we get to this point, uh, you know, who will be the Reds' next big contract signing? Who will be that next Reds player that will sign that big deal, that big contract? And it may not be who, as in an individual, it could be potentially two. If I'm the Cincinnati Reds, I look at Nick Castellanos and I look at Jesse Winker and I look at two guys who bring so much spark and personality and almost an identity to this team that if those two guys are in your lineup for at least the next 10 years, uh, and with being productive in probably seven of those 10, because as I've said before, no one signs guys to 10 year deals, expecting 10 years of production. You sign a, you sign a guy to 10 years, knowing you're probably going to get about seven. That's what we got out of Joey Votto. Um, Kind of, actually. Yeah, I mean, we got about six years after that. twenty-seven. When he was 27, signed that 10-year deal. He, We got a good five, six-year production out of him at the elite level. He's still producing. I'll give him that. He's been a different player since coming off the IL. He even homered last night. But if you were the Cincinnati Reds, They need to do everything they can to keep this tandem locked in. I know everyone keeps talking about trading guys and all this. Not a fan of that. Not a fan of moving on. You work so hard to develop players. I mean, it looked like Jesse Winker was not going to be a bust necessarily, but wasn't going to turn into the player that everyone had anticipated. But now you look at Jesse Winker, and he's a part of this tandem with Nick Castellanos, and it's like, man, what do you do? Mm -hmm. You've signed both. That's what you do. You make sure you find a way to keep both. However, if you could only pick one, who do you pick? Reds fans? because let's be honest, of course you keep both. But who are we dealing with here? Cincinnati ownership. Whether it's the Bengals or the Reds, we all run into the same issue. Would' be nice we' keep both. You build around them for the next ten years, but we know that that's not necessarily how this front office always operates. Of course, and by the way, the, the you know the franchise that Forbes had listed as being worth over a billion dollars somehow, some way is trying to convince its fan base that well, you know, COVID, yeah, we can't afford even a, a decent reliever. Scott Campbell, follow the rules. I am not. I said Nick Castellanos to Jesse Winker. Or both. Of course you want to keep both. I want to keep both. And it's my fault for having both put in the display box. Hashtag but, uh, both. Hashtag both. Everyone's going to say both. But let's play a game here and say you could only pick one. Who are you picking? There's pros and cons to both. Of course, if Nick Castellanos, you look at him right now, he's a bona fide superstar. I look at, Nick, I look at Jesse Winker, who is emerging as a star. But I cannot put Nick or Jesse Winker at Castellanos' level yet. And I will say this. The one pro to keeping Jesse Winker is that he's homegrown. You drafted him. You developed him. Mm -hmm. You watched him go through the, the ups and the downs, and now you're getting to see the finished product, which is pretty damn cool. Jesse Winker, Nick Castellanos, Reds fans, we're live on YouTube. We're live on Facebook. Head there now. Search The Justin Kitter Show on Facebook. Jump in the chat section or on YouTube, ESPN Dayton on YouTube. Jump in the comment section there. We'll pull your interaction into the show. I'm curious. If you could only keep one. Because we all want to keep both. And mm-hmm. I was dumb for putting or both in the comments in the in the in the topic box, but I am curious people's thoughts. Who do you keep? I like Nick Castellanos, but there is something special about signing a guy that is yours. Like Jesse Winker is a Cincinnati Red. He you drafted him, you developed him. He you know, you called him up to the main roster and debuted in two thousand seventeen. He's had a lot of ups and downs. You know, there was a lot of ebbs, you know. Roller coaster ride. He's finally had this breakout season where you look at him and say, Oh man, he's he he has it. He's he's it finally. This is what we've been waiting for. But then you look at Nick Castellanos, big offseason acquisition heading into the 2020 season where there was a lot of expectations because you had Sonny Gray, you had Trevor Bauer, Luis Castillo. You, I mean, that was your core three. And then you look at that lineup that had those guys. There was even excitement about Shogo Akiyama, which we know that that's kind of gone off course a little mm-hmm. bit. But the bottom line is, is that both of these guys have been huge, huge uh, you, you know, faces of this organization on this recent run. You could only pick one, Nick Castellanos or Jesse Winker. Who are you picking, Kev? Whoever's younger. I don't know who's younger. Even by two years? So Jesse Winker's 27. Nick Castellanos is 29. The younger one. Just off of that alone? Just off
1: of that alone. Just off of that alone. You talk about 10-year deals. If you, you know, everything that happened with Albert Pujols towards the back end of his uh, contract with Anaheim and everything like that started falling apart. Not the player that he was when he first showed up. They knew that was going to happen. So if you get me the younger guy, that means he'll break, uh, probably a breakdown later and maybe i'll get the full 10 years out of
0: it i just look even Votto signed that so and i agree with you you have to look at it that way but i still do not believe that anyone signs a 10 year deal or that any team signs a guy to 10 year like even the Even the Angels knew signing Pujols to that 10-year deal. They were going to get maybe five years. And by the way, I don't even think they got that many. I think they got one or two. His run in, in Los Angeles was very similar to Griffey's in, in Cincinnati. Cincinnati was a bigger deal because Cincinnati homegrown kid, all that stuff. But like Griffey came to Cincinnati. Pujols went to Los Angeles. Both of those guys brought a lot of excitement and buzz when they arrived. I think actually Griffey's run with Cincinnati was better than than Pujols' run in, in Los Angeles. Uh, I'm curious people's thoughts on that, but uh, that that really didn't work out for Los Angeles the way they had anticipated. But nonetheless, I still think the Reds dodged a bullet there. I talked about that USA Today report where the Reds were the secret suitors to try to land Pujols, and then, of course, when he turned them down for the L.A. deal, that's who they, they, they moved on to, Joey Votto. I'm taking Nick Castellanos here just because we know who he is right now, um, but at the same time, man, it's, I don't know. I just told you what I want. Now I'm changing my mind. I don't know. There is something special about having the homegrown player in Jesse Winker. Real quick, to the Facebook comments we go, because very interesting comments in here. Ann Anderson, shout out to Ann. I hope you are doing well. Ann Anderson says that she wants Jesse Winker because he's younger and he's ours, being, again, the Reds drafted him, made his debut with the Reds in 2017. We got to see him grow before our very eyes, and now he is third in the National League outfielders on the All Star list. I mean, he would be a starter. Voting ended today. Mm-hmm. Him and Nick Castellanos would be the starters in the for the National League in the All Star game. I think that's that's huge. But imagine the Reds having the starting outfielders in the National League as as the core of their lineup moving forward. I want both, but if I can only pick one, I'm still going with Nick Castellanos just because I think he brings more of a leadership flair. I think that the fans follow suit with him. I think that the dugout in the clubhouse feeds off of him, Um, and, and I'm a big fan of that. I really do. So David Shaw, he says Winker. Winker's getting a lot of the votes right now. He says he's younger and homegrown. A lot of the you know arguments that you made. Keith Tolliver said you trade Castellanos to the Yankees and keep Winker. Um, no,
1: don't don't do that. That'll mess it up for my team.
0: But, <laughs> but I'm curious, like why? Why is it we get a good player? You just want to trade him. But then again, you look at the Trevor Bauer situation. Got to get something for him if they're going to walk. But the leverage you don't have leverage when they have a half a season left. I mean, even the Indians didn't get a lot for Trevor Bauer. Right. Either. I mean, you've got to look at that. But at that that
1: time, Bauer was on the whatever. He wasn't the Cy Young. Yeah. 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 He he had a good peak with the Cleveland baseball team, then dipped big time. And then when he got to Cincinnati, he wasn't good at first when he got to Cincinnati. And then last year, he popped up again. And now he's high again. So.
0: Not having Sticky Tack will do that to you. I'm just saying. (laughs) There goes that interview. David M. on YouTube says, If push came to shove, or we just look at ownership's history of not stretching the bank to take the next step, I'd much rather they keep Castellanos over Winker. I want them to keep both. But, again, if it just came down to one over the other, Can they afford both is the question. Oh, the billion-dollar franchise, yes, they can afford both. Will they? Like, that's the thing. I, I refuse to ever bow down to that answer. Can they afford both? Yes, they can. How could you – can't, Kev, right? Unless I'm missing something here. How can you be a billion-dollar franchise and wave the flag of, oh, we just small market, then sell the damn team? Like, that's not okay. They don't have the, the TV deal that the Yankees have or – Everyone has the same TV deal. They get the, but the same Yankees TV money. The
1: Yankees have the Yes Network, though. Just like
0: well, know, the Reds play on the no network where everything's no. Can we sign him? No. Let's get him. No. Let's trade him. No. In the same way
1: that the Lakers have that deal with Spectrum out there in L.A., like they have like, I mean, it's a bigger market. You know, number one and number two media markets in the world that bring in a lot more money. So. Uh, that's that's probably what they're hanging their hat on, like, saying, like, they can't or can't afford or not willing to pay that type of money. But what would be the numbers? What would be the numbers for year deal?
0: Everything, look, Joey Votto's deal, that seemed so monstrous back in 2012 when he got that 12-year $225 million deal or 215 It was a $215, $220 million deal. That was, like, monstrous. Now that's a deal. If you could sign a guy like you. if you could sign... I don't know. I don't know what. Ca- look, I think the one thing that the Reds need to look at and capitalize on now, getting a deal done, is the fact that Castellanos has had one MVP caliber season. It's not like your sign like Joey Votto had. He had strung together right quite a few great years, and then wins that MVP, and then so that was all combined. That's you know it made It, it he was able to use that as leverage to have his asking price go up. Nick Castellanos has one great year. Jesse Winker, this is his breakout year. And by the way, you're not at the point where you have to pay Winker yet. By the way, he's making like three mil. He's not. I mean, it's a steal. This is why the Reds are unfortunate. Because if you have Eugenio Suarez right now who's making 10, 11 mil a year, which is also a steal with the production that they were seeing from him early. But to have Winker playing the way he is, if Suarez was playing the way he's supposed to, in this breakout year from Castellanos, if Mustakis would have stayed healthy, Vado has been great since coming off the I.L., this team, man, they could be uh, so much better than they are. There's so much going against them, yet they're a game over 500 and still in the playoff push, but a uh, billion-dollar franchise. I you just look at, don't buy into that.
1: I asked you about the numbers because you look at uh, um, Fernando Tatis Jr. out there with the Padres. He got the 14-year. I don't think they're going to make for that. For $300 million. He's 24? 22. 22? 22.
0: That's, so the same age. God, he might get two deals. He will get two deals. Can stay healthy, <laughs> but you he'll get two deals. So, Reds fans who are listening on Facebook and YouTube, what do you guys think the going rate would be?
1: Because I bring up Tatis Jr. because he's only had basically a year and a half of good baseball, and they bought in hook, line, and sinker, obviously with that three hundred thirty million dollar contract for fourteen years. Are the Reds has the Reds seen enough to put that type of
0: money on the table? Is my question. I mean, and by the way, I tell you, let's pick up on this. I, I want the answers to keep piling in. Head to Facebook. Head to Facebook. Search The Justin Kenner Show. Everyone has Facebook. Search The Justin Kenner Show. Follow, subscribe, and tune in live. We'll take your comments and answers in the comment section and drag them into the show and answer you there and read your responses. But Nick Castellanos or Jesse Winker, if you could only keep both... Or if you could only keep both. If you could only keep one only keep one of the two, who are you keeping? Nick Castellanos or Jesse Winker? You could only keep one. Who are you keeping at this point? Right now, Nick Castellanos is number two in, in to be the, or the number two outfielder in total votes right now for the All-Star Game. Jesse Winker coming in at number three. If voting ended today, the Reds would have two of the starting three outfielders for the National League in the 2021 All-Star Game. How cool is that? So head to Facebook, head to YouTube. Who would you pick? And also... What would, the, what would the asking price for these two be? Could the Reds get it done? We'll talk about that when we come back. More of the Justin Kinner Show with Kev Nash, presented by Orion Sports Medicine, next. All right, we are back. Justin Kinner, Kev Nash with you here on Dayton's ESPN radio station, 1410 Wing AM. Reds and Padres tonight... Right here on Dayton's some of the Reds, fourteen ten wing AM, and that'll be a 7 first pitch, six forty the pregame. I'll give you the lineup early, just real quick, we'll run down it. Jonathan India will lead off and get the start at second base. Jesse Winker will bat second and start in left field. Nick Castellanos in right field, he'll bat third. The catcher, Tyler Stevenson, will bat in the cleanup spot at number four. Batting fifth and at first base is Joey Votto. Sixth and at third base, back in his natural habitat, will be Eugenio Suarez. We have an Aquino sighting. Batting seventh and getting the start in center field will be Aristides Aquino. At shortstop will be Kyle Farmer. He'll bat eighth and batting ninth. Your pitcher tonight for your red legs, Tony Santion. So there you go, one more time. India Winker Castellanos, your one, two, and three hitters. Four, five, and six. Stevenson, Vado, and Suarez. And your 7-8-9 and nine hitters, Aquino, Farmer, and Santion. I kind of like the balance of the power hitting throughout this lineup right now. I mean, Jonathan India has been a huge breakout star as far as a potential. I mean, the Reds have been looking for a leadoff hitter for what seems to be ever. Uh, and uh, you know, they had brought in Shogo Akiyama and I believe that was the intended target of bringing him in was to be that leadoff hitter. They thought Billy Hamilton years ago was going to be that guy. They were really trying to force Jesse Winker to be that guy, which I was not a fan of. Vada was hitting there at times. Uh, they just, it was a Revolving door, but Jonathan India has actually kind of provided the Reds a little steady leadoff hitter, and then we'll see if that continues. But I, I think that he's been, from him being a rookie and ha- taking on that role and, and being a solid leadoff guy and then setting the table for guys like Winker and Castellanos after him. But I like the the power that is spread out throughout this lineup. India, great uh, leadoff hitter, but Winker's batting second. Castellanos batting third. Tyler Stevenson hasn't popping that bat, hitting fourth. Votto went yard last night, he's batting fifth, and then Suarez, who I mean, he's a damn pitcher with his with with his average. But I mean, he has like I mean, he's has like what 13 home runs or whatever it is. He's on pace to hit 30 to 35 home runs on the season. We all know what Aquino can do when he gets hot. I just I like the balance of the lineup for tonight. So India Winker, Castellanos, Stevenson, Vado, Suarez, Aquino, Farmer, and the pitcher Tony Santian tonight, who probably is hitting uh, hitting better and has a better average and our guy Eugenio Suarez did you see the outfielder pitch last night for the Phillies
1: really yes he came in and pitched and everything like that like struck somebody out and everything like that and as he's walking off the field ump comes up to him let me see what you got Gave him his hat, gave him his glove and everything like that. Like, he literally came from the outfield in to pitch. Like, he didn't leave the field, but since he pitched the ball, they said they had to check him. So I saw that on ESPN this morning. It was pretty.
0: Even outfielders are getting that, huh? Or even uh, position players. I mean, by the way, that has to be a rule to stop. It's disrespectful to the league. When you bring in the third baseman to pitch or something, I don't care that you're trying to – it's a strategy. They don't want to burn it on. I don't care. Uh, The strategy is – don't get down 12 to 6 or 12 to 4, or whatever it was. How about that strategy? Yeah, I, I think that's weak. I think it's wrong. I think we need to stop that. We sit there and we lose our minds over, oh, Tim Tebow in the NFL, he's, you know, uh, it's disrespectful to all the tight ends who have worked hard to get to the NFL, and they're bringing him in off, basically off the streets to take a spot from somebody. Well, you have a lot of pitchers that work hard, that put a lot of time into their craft, and now you're bringing in a guy from left field, literally and figuratively, <laughs> to come pitch. I just think that's wrong. I just think that's wrong. Brian McCoy, he says, uh, just because Forbes says the Reds have a billion-dollar valuation means nothing. Revenue determines salary cap. My house evaluation is skyrocketing, but my bank account still looking shaky. (laughs) Amen to that, brother. I know that's right. Brian, (laughs) I'm mad at you for trying to bring sense to this show, so stop it. Quit it. That's actually a very good point. But I don't like being wrong, so shut up, Brian. How about that? (laughs) How about that? Dennis Train says, go Reds. Shout out to Dennis right now. Look, I like this. If you were to tell me that the Reds are going to be above 500, maybe. Again, a lot could happen in the next couple days. But let's just assume. And I'm probably... It's the kiss of death, by the way. Uh, the Kenner curse. It's real. By the way, Very yesterday... Well. You know what happened yesterday?
1: <laughs> it's, it's in my notes.
0: <laughs> I said the Reds would win one of their next four. Well, I'm really hoping I'm wrong because they got... that, And I said they would lose last night. They won. So... For you Reds fans who are excited, I don't want to be the the guy that ruins your whole entire evening. So the Reds will lose tonight. Wink, wink. Hopefully it's like you said. It, it is, is real. Team. Like, we laugh about it, but it's, it's starting to be kind of creepy how it happens. I'm not joking. Like, no matter what would happen, during the NFL season, if i pick a team to win, they would lose. If i pick a team to lose, they'd win. Ah ha-ha, funny, funny. But it has carried over to the Reds. I, I think I have only one time all season, Kev, and I'm not joking, we're 60 games, we're 60-plus games into this, almost 70, over 70. Every time I pick a team to win, they lose, and every time I pick a team to lose, they win. I s- predicted the sweep. It was a split. Unreal. Ask the Suns. We both picked the Suns last night. But if I do have that power, with great power, That's comes great, great responsibility. responsibility. Shouts out the. To- Spider-Man. There you go. So, anyways. So the big conversation we were having before, and a lot of good uh, feedback on this. I appreciate everyone kind of weighing in on this. I I think it's a fun conversation to have. I think that we're at the point now where the Reds need to decide, like, they do not need to hit the reset button. They do not need to start trading off assets left and right. Sometimes you do got to trade a good piece to get something good in. But I do not believe that it's smart to blow up what you have on the main roster to just... Fill up your farm system um, when you're cons- when you're more worried about the health uh, about you know about how you know um, deep your farm system is versus how good your main roster is. I think that's a problem. I really do. And I know that this is how some of these smaller teams operate. You're only as good as your farm system because whether those guys come up and turn into stars like Jesse Winker has with the Reds or you package them up to go get stars like the Reds did a few years ago, being able to get Trevor Bauer and guys like that, I completely get it. But at the end of the day, you do that when you are officially rebuilding. The Reds right now, you could see how close they are. Mm -hmm. You could see how close they are. They are above 500, worth the worst bullpen in baseball. They have a manager who I'm not a big fan of the managerial style, but again, I think I I will admit I've probably been a little too hard on him because I think uh, Doug Toby I'll give Doug a shout out on this as I was being super negative about David Bell the other day he brought up a lot of good points that how many managers out there can have a team above 500 with the worst bullpen in baseball I say this all the time it's sometimes you when you have weaknesses how you manage those weaknesses is really going to determine how you come out on the other side. And right now you have a manager in David Bell, who I'm not a humongous fan of from a managerial standpoint. Who has this team above 500 with the worst bullpen in baseball? So something has to be said about that. Kenner's always so critical. Got to make sure I'm kind of being a little fair there. But if you could only pick one, Nick Castellanos or Jesse Winker, who are you rolling with? Who do you feel more comfortable uh, taking a chance on between the two? And, again, there is a chance that the Reds can keep both, but we know realistically they probably won't. The other side to this is we're sitting here assuming that, okay, let's say the Reds keep both. Now what do you do about pitching? Because I do believe that the key to getting the deal done for both Jesse Winker and Nick Castellanos, if you lock them in long term, I do believe that it is the deficiencies of Luis Castillo and his inability to be able to take off. I do believe that the the lack of development of Luis Castillo could lead to the money going into the pockets of Nick Castellanos and Jesse Winker. Because as of a few years ago, how we envisioned this was Luis Castillo being the, the longtime ace of this rotation that the Reds would build around. So when you're a small market team and you average one to two big contracts per decade, if you're the Reds, you almost got to balance it, Right. Max contract to Luis Castillo on the rotation. Max contract, whether it be Jesse Winker or Nick Castellanos. But now you've got to ask yourself, does it make sense to lock in a core of your lineup? Because just because you signed guys to 10-year deals, these guys aren't good enough to put a no-trade clause in there, Kev. So Jesse Winker can't put a no-trade clause in there. Nick Castellanos, they can request it, but I don't even think that either of these two are good enough or have right. been good enough long enough to warrant that. Uh, there is always flexibility to get out from underneath of these contracts, and I think that's key. Votto had that. That's one reason why they've had to kind of be patient and kind of eat that contract a bit.
1: All right, let me ask you this. You would know better than me. At the age that they are, you got 27 <laughs> and 29, you're not
0: going to get a 10-year deal at those ages, are you? Votto got it at 27. Oh, okay. Okay, that's why I was bringing that up earlier really about Vado, you know, the significance of Joey Vado getting that that ten year deal. He was either twenty six or twenty seven, but I, I believe it was twenty seven because he's thirty seven uh, now. So yeah, he would have been about twenty seven years old. So Winkers about that same age, yeah, twenty seven. He'll be twenty eight uh, in August. <clears throat> yep, and then of course Nick Castellanos is twenty nine. Uh, but the the thing is, too, I don't think either <clears throat> one of them get a ten year deal. My thing is, is you sign any oh. I, I agree with you. And by the way, if I'm, I've never understood what I would do. I would pay him a lot for a shorter window of time, good chunk of it guaranteed. Don't be married to these guys long term, because let's say things go south and you're married to this guy for a, you know, a big chunk of change, you could either move on from him. In the next you know, it's a, you know, I don't know what the, I don't even know what the minimum years of a contract you can have. Let's say you married one of these guys for a three to a five year deal. That's fine. Mm -hmm. Things go south, you could trade them. It's guaranteed money. They're going to get their money no matter what. Right. But it also gives them the flexibility to get out if things aren't going well, which most likely it will. (laughs) But it's just it's giving both parties flexibility. The Reds have to be smart, and I'm hoping they do the right thing. I'm going to be I will be devastated because I've allowed the Reds to, you know, infiltrate my heart a little bit right now. I'm buying in. Was a fair contract. So that's what I'm seeing a lot of on here. So I saw 150. There's a lot of comments coming in. I haven't been able to keep up with some of these, but someone said about, you know, 150. Is that a little disrespect? I think 200, 2 mil or 200 mil. For how many years? But see, that's, that. that's over 10 real... mil. You're right. So we're looking at 100 mil over five years.
1: I think that's fair. I think maybe even
0: 150 for five. 150 years. over five. I think that's fair. I mean, you know, I, I just because by the way, if you look at the breakdown of the contract, some of these guys are getting paid 30, 35, 40 mil over right. a, ten, a year period. Right. Castellanos, I can't look at him and say as good as he's been, I can't look at him and say, okay, you do you deserve 35 mil a year like Machado? Right. Is he Machado, no. But but that's the thing though, we can't just equate it to comparing numbers to numbers. The value of Nick Castellanos to Cincinnati, it's about what are you worth to us? Who cares about what the Machado is worth to San Diego or what Bauer is worth over here? It's a different position. But... He's valuable to Cincinnati mm-hmm. from a marketing standpoint, from a draw standpoint, from from just an impact standpoint, from a fan popularity yes. standpoint. It's bigger than that. I mean, we look at these things that the Reds do, like the caravan and the uh, you know, the caravan and Reds Fest and everything. Like those guys are draws. Like he mm-hmm. would be Castellanos. People would come. Reds fans would come from all over if that meant having a chance just to get face to face time with him. I think that's a big deal.
1: I think this is going to work in the Reds' favor. I know we were playing the game. If you could only have one, but I think. Their age is going to help the Reds be able to sign both. Think that one guy ends up getting like a a seven, eight-year deal, and the other ends up getting a five-year deal. Something that the not only the team can manage, but you can keep both players happy and give them the money that they've earned. So I think this is actually going to turn out in the Reds' favor for both of them. Not obviously being older, but I mean, not trying to call either one of them. I mean, they're not even thirty years old yet. But like, if they were like Tatis Jr.'s age, like twenty. Two years old and raking like this, then it'll be like, all right, man, we can only keep one of them because we're going to have to break the bank. But they're really not going to have to break the bank for this. They're going to, you know, have to dip into the funds. You know, they're going to have to go ahead and reach deep and come up with the money to pay them. But I think that they can pay both guys a reasonable contract to keep both guys with the team. And also, like you said, it's important for the fan base to have guys to watch. It's important for young fans to grow up with players because that's something we don't see in the NBA. We see LeBron with the Cavaliers, and he, you know, a seven year old. And by the time LeBron heads to Miami, he's 14 years old. And now he's mad at LeBron because he left him high and dry. And then LeBron comes back at the, now he's like 20 years old. And then LeBron leaves again, and now he's 23 years old. Like it just keeps on ticking. But if you sign one of these guys up for the long haul or at least five to eight years. They'll be with you. You'll grow up with these guys. You'll buy the jersey. You'll go to the games. You'll do all those things, like you talked about with Reds Caravan and everything like that. There'll be draws. So I think this is going to work in the Reds' favor that they'll be able to get both guys for a contract extension for at least like five to eight years.
0: Yeah, and so uh, Scott Campbell says, forget the caravan. Forget the caravan. What? I'm forget the caravan. He goes, let's talk about Reds Fest. I think they go hand in hand. I don't know why we're going to forget about what I see. What you, I mean, I I can't see what you're saying, Scott. I'm sorry. Uh, but Scott says, how insane would that be if Nick is locked up to a five-year deal? Um, Like I said, there's pros and cons to to both sides of this. I think that there's a lot. This has actually worked out well for Cincinnati. You went in low. Castellanos, Mm. you got him low, and he's performing at a Machado in the big contract level. In fact, he's performing better than some of those guys right now. I mean, he's going to be in the finals to win an MVP when it's all said and done if he keeps at this pace. And then Jesse Winker, there's the pride of, oh, we drafted him. We developed him. He's ours. Um, and if you have to pick one or the other, I could see, I mean, there's, again, there's there's a laundry list for both as to why it would make sense for either one. But overall, I think what the city deserves, what Reds fans deserve, they deserve both. And I'm tired yeah. of hearing these, these franchises who, are, who own professional baseball teams, professional sports teams say, well, we can't afford players. Then get out and sell it to someone who will, because... I, I just don't understand it. If you're treating this like an investment and it's not a passion of yours, that's 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 doing the fans dirty. That's doing the fans dirty cause you know what's also an investment emotionally? is the Reds to the fans. Mm-hmm. And I think that the emotion invested into the team is what gives you the opportunity to financially invest and come out big on the other side. That's the problem I have when it comes to owners just sitting there looking at, well, what do we got to do to break even or what do we got to do to kind of you, you know make a profit? And once these owners find a way to, like there has to be, these owners have to sit here and say, well, if we just win, and by the way, the Reds are the perfect example. They're going to win 85 to 90 games. They're going to be a 500 team. Maybe still miss the playoffs. They'll get to tip their cap and say, well, we fielded a 500 team. We won 85 to 90 games, which isn't bad. We tried, but did you? But did you? That and it's not just about trying on a year to year basis. You gotta have a plan long term. I don't know what the Bread's long term plan is. I felt like they were on to something when they brought in Bauer, when they got Sonny Gray, uh, with you know Luis Castillo taking gradual steps year in and year out, and then of course they go all in and get Mustakas and Castellanos and, and they, you know, bring Shogo in. I'm like, man, they're really White Miley was still a very big addition, by the way. I don't think he gets enough credit as being one of the big names they brought in. I'm, I just come on, Reds, do it. Do it. They're thirty-nine and thirty-eight, a game above five hundred. And most importantly, right now with the All-Star game coming up around the corner, Nick Castellanos is second in voting, Jesse Winker is third, and they both currently hold all-star starting spots in the National League outfield. And let's keep putting those daily votes in. Again, right now, if you head to Twitter, if you have Twitter, again, Cincinnati Reds Twitter account. I just retweeted it. Uh, You know, it has all the instructions there on how you can vote for both. Continue to get those votes in. How cool would that be to see two Reds starters position players at that uh, representing the Reds coming up here for the All-Star Game? It's the Justin Kenner Show with Kev Nash presented by Orion Sports Medicine. We'll step away for a few moments. We'll continue with your reaction on the other side. We'll get into this great article I found in Dayton Daily News. Um, I found it very interesting talking about the, the, the impact of a shot clock on high school basketball. I know, we've talked about the shot clock in the past, but what I loved about this article was the fact that it had quotes and it had conversations with, of course, Rocky Rockhold, the head coach of Trotwood Boys Basketball, uh, Travis Trice Sr., who was with Wayne Boys and Girls Basketball, now uh, with Wright State. Uh, He weighs in on it as well as what the impact of it would be for local high school basketball. So a very interesting article there that we'll get into at the top of the hour. Uh, And then some snippets from the Bobby Carpenter interview of him weighing in on the name, image, likeness, all that fun stuff. So lots still to get into. Bengals, Browns, Buckeyes, more Reds, plenty more coming your way. Don't go anywhere.
2: Hey, everybody, it's Stephen A. Smith, and everyone knows my feelings on Cowboys fans. But really, Justin Kenner, you're a Cowboys fan?
0: Just to give you an idea of how quickly things are moving along this summer, it was interesting. So we just got this email from Tim Street with the OHSAA. The 2021 OHSAA football calendar, Kev, on Sunday, August 1st, will be the first day of official coaching permitted you know, practices start. So on August sixth to the fourteenth those are your scrimmage dates, but the regular season for high school football. Begins on August, Monday, August 16th. Now, that's when this, the, technically, like, the first week of practice. But the very first Friday, August 20th. I mean, so where are we at right now? We're on the 29th? I mean, I, this is insane. Like, I, I don't know about you, but summer always, to me, was such a long stretch oh, yeah. of time. And I'm, like, sitting here as we are heading, I mean, it's July this week. So that's basically one, two, three, four, four. I mean, we're a month away. Yeah. Practices for, for high school football start in a month crazy. I'm 6 weeks away from the very fir- from week 1 of the OHSA high school football season.
1: Time waits for nobody as you just were talking about as a kid, it seemed like summer lasted forever. You know, we would get out of school the second week in june and not go back until the wednesday after labor day and it seems so long we would do any every and anything we would take a family vacation we would you know play outside all day all night long my mom worked a uh, third shift she was, was a nurse and everything like that <clears throat> and we would play outside all day long and now older and older you get it's ready work 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 and oh the weather's changed again like it's 92 degrees a day. We're all complaining, man, it's too hot, man. The AC is okay, But this is day. some BS, though. Like,
0: this is, you know, when I hate when people do the, oh, you know, the, the humidity. That's the, you know, I want when people talk about, the, oh, in Texas, it's a dry heat. The dry G- heat, baby. But this is the, oh, this is the stuff they talk about. I get a little too comfortable there. I start, you know, I do a pretty good job. I don't swear too often. I mean, I swear, but I don't use the unapproved words. Yeah, I know. I'm around. Or at least know. I haven't been caught yet. <laughs> So, uh, there you go.
1: Summer time, man, it flies by so fast, and football season going to be here before we know it, man. So, like, when I I talk about, like, get out and enjoy the good weather while we got it, because come about six months from now, we're all going to be stuck back in the house. It's going to
0: be cold. College basketball, college football, I'm fine with that. I don't dread. I I hate the cold, but. I get through the winter because of football season, because of basketball season, so uh, it, it's You're fun. a fall dude, though, right? I love fall. I think fall's my favorite because you know, it starts cooling down. The holidays are on the corner. I'm a big Christmas guy, you know, a big jolly guy like me. Oh, why wouldn't I love the happiest time of year, right? So Not this year, man. You're going to be skinny, Kenner, for Christmas. I, I mean, does jolly necessarily mean fat?
1: <laughs> That's what I think of.
0: <laughs> so when someone says, oh, he's a jolly fella, you picture a fat guy? Yes. Interesting. With a beard. Inter- <laughs> Don't got that either. Don't got that. I got this. I, I, the one thing I did learn during the pandemic was to grow a goatee. I figured that out. It's a little patchy from time to time. Like, you know, sometimes it struggles right here. But, you know, it is what it is. It happens. Aye, aye, aye. Coming up, top of the hour, Kev Nash brings us over under. We'll also have some clips from our conversation with the ESPN's Bobby Carpenter. Plus, we'll do the sympathy meter. Paul George is on the sympathy meter today. Uh, we'll talk about that coming up around the corner. Also, Scotty Pippen's on the... Uh, on the sympathy meter. I don't know how many people out there feel sorry for Scottie Pippen. I could, I, 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 I mean, the fact that he's been a silent as he has for this long. I don't know what's changed, but uh, hey, when you write a book, all of a sudden everything comes out. It's called promotion. So this book, uh, he's doing a good job promoting that book. It's made me want to go buy it now that I found out that that wasn't such as much of a happy marriage as what you think. But uh, hour two coming up, lots of good stuff. Don't go anywhere. Hour two of the Justin Kinner Show with Kev Nash. Coming up next, the show is presented by Orion Sports Medicine. Go Browns.
2: local him up. we're Dayton's ESPN radio station now let's send it to the WING studios for Dayton's only local sports talk show it's the Justin Kinner show with Kev Nash presented by Orion sports medicine
0: All right, welcome back. Justin Kenner, Kevin Nash with you here on Dayton's ESPN Radio Station, 1410 Wing AM. How about the Cincinnati Reds last night? Huge win over the Phillies, and they just piled it on. 12-4, your final last night. Of course, it was highlighted by a grand slam from Nick Castellanos. Here's the radio call. The Cowboy absolutely nailed it.
2: The 0-1 from Felice.
0: The Reds' momentum. I mean, they had taken four straight at St. Louis. They were just coming off of a huge series at first place in Milwaukee, where they were able to sweep Milwaukee. Uh, but that really set them back a bit. But again, they're thirty nine and thirty eight, still above five hundred. The problem is, last night, you know, the Brewers are going to keep winning, and they they've been the silent assassin all season, all off season, coming into the year. We talked about the Cubs, we talked about the Cardinals, we talked about the Reds, we talked about how bad the Pirates were. But the one team that we just refuse to give attention to, the one team we refuse to look at, is a team that's right now sitting comfortably atop the NL Central that has a six-game cushion between them and the team that swept them at home, the Cincinnati Reds. So uh, the Reds got that big win last night. Uh, but all it did is it kept the games back uh, the same distance as what it was when the game started yesterday, but that's why winning is so important, is because it either keeps you the, it's better to stay the same than move back any, and that's what the Reds risked last night had they lost that matchup against the Phillies luckily that was not the case, and what was nice is it wasn't even one of Wade Miley's better outings I mean, he didn't have his best stuff last night I had tweeted out and called it on the show Joe Girardi last week was known for going at, uh, I think it was Max Scherzer with the Nationals Scherzer was rolling, striking out every one left and right against uh, the Phillies and Joe Girardi. That was the first week of the substance checks that you could request from the umpires. Joe Girardi was awesome with that. I, I was a huge supporter of it uh, for him taking advantage of the rules. And the rules are that hey, if a manager requests it, if they think something's fishy, they can request it. He he did it about three times. Scherzer lost his cool. Uh, Washington, you know they, that entire team, they had lost their minds. They were pretty fired up about it. Scherzer got tossed. Girardi wasn't happy. But Girardi got in the head of Scherzer, and it worked. And with the way Wade Miley pitches, he pitches at such a quick pace. You know, releases the ball, gets the ball back, already lined up, ready to go. Off he goes. He just couldn't get in a rhythm last night. I predicted Girardi would do it at least two or three times. Didn't have to, mainly because, you know, really, Wade Miley never really got going. But Reds Padres, game one tonight, Great American Ballpark, 7-10 the first pitch. Tony Santion will be on the mound for the Reds. We had the lineup earlier. We'll highlight the lineup again coming up here in just a little bit. But Kev... Time to bring us a little over-under. Kev Nash brings us over-under, presented by Nobody. Aw.
2: Kev Nash brings you over-under.
0: All right, we'll stay in the world of Major League Baseball. Kev, kick us off.
1: Yes, sir. The Cincinnati Reds put a beatdown on the Phillies last night, winning 12-4. The Reds welcome the San Diego Padres to town tonight for a three-game series. So, over-under, one-and-a-half
0: wins for the Reds in this series versus Padres, So we are the 39 and 38. So that puts them at what? That's 78 games. We're almost 80 games into the season. We're almost at the halfway point. And only once this year, folks, only once have I predicted the Reds to win and they actually win. Only once all year have I predicted them to lose and they actually lose. So I'm not going to do this again. I need the Reds to stay hot. I need them to take off. I don't even care if I'm wrong from the night before when I said they would only win one of their next four. Um, I'm going to say that uh, they will win under. They're not going to win a game in this series uh, because I have to fight the curse. With great power comes great responsibilities we talked about earlier. Uh, And uh, I just got to make sure that uh, I'm handling this the right way. The Reds will get swept at home by the Padres, and I'm hoping that reverse psychology works. I'm going to say the under, Kev.
1: I'm going to go with the under as well because, like you just said, the Reds are 39 and 38. So they'll win one and they'll lose two and be a 500 team like they've been all season They'll be a 500 team once this series is over with the Padres. They'll get one of these three games at home versus the Padres.
0: All right, to the world of the National Basketball Association, we go. And I love the headline of this: (laughs) Kenner was wrong, and so were you.
1: Absolutely, Kenner was wrong. I was wrong. I was big wrong because I said that the Suns were going to win by 20 plus points. But Paul George had other plans by dropping 41 points, grabbing 13 rebounds, dishing out six assists, helping the Clippers stay alive in the Western Conference Finals, winning 116 to 102 two over the Suns. Currently, the Suns still lead the series three to two. So over and under the series going two more games. So basically, is it going to go to a game
0: seven? Uh, no, I think that the Suns look, this reminds me of when Kevin Durant, remember when Kevin Durant had that humongous game for the Nets and everyone's like, oh man, maybe he, uh, when they were playing the Bucks, and maybe, maybe he can lead them by himself. Um, this Clippers team is way better than that Nets team with only Kevin Durant, but this, it kind of reminds me of that feel. Look what Paul George had to do to get them to win. 15 of 20 from the floor. so That's 80%. It's crazy. And to be honest, the game was closer than what the score indicated, just kind of unraveled for the Suns in the final moments of that game, not taking anything away from the Clippers. But it was 96-92 uh, with about six minutes to go. In fact, Paul George got lucky because Paul George had a fantastic game, and he was able to ride the ship a little bit because there was a point where it was 96-90, to 90. He turned it over. Mm-hmm. It led to an and one at the other end of the floor. After the free throw, he fouled on the on the box out or whatever it was, and then it sent the Suns right back to the yep. free throw line. It was almost a five point swing, and the both free throws were missed. So the Suns missed out on some opportunities down the stretch, and and Booker was making some huge shots down the stretch as well. He had another thirty point game. Yeah. He's been fantastic as well, um, but. It reminded me of Kevin Durant, and it reminds me of Trey Young, where so many things. Even when the Hawks got the win over the Bucks in week in game one, he had to drop nearly 50 points. He had to have 11 plus assists. He had to play damn near out of his mind just to win by two. <laughs> so, and then of course they got blitzed when he didn't have when he didn't have as good as a game. They got blitzed in game two by the Bucks. Yeah. So that's where I'm at with this. I think that the next game will belong to the Suns. So I'm gonna say under on this just because I see Paul George having another big game but look how big of a game he had to have just to hold off the Suns. Now, that was at Phoenix. They will get be able to play back in L.A., but I think the pressure's on L.A. there more than Phoenix. Really? I think that the pressure turns to Phoenix if they go to Game 7, but the pressure's on L.A. to extend the series playing on their home floor. Being eliminated on your home floor, I feel like they have the pressure in that situation, right? I think the pressure's all on the Suns
1: because Chris Paul, he's been a part of a lot of three... One leads that have gone the other way. And also, something that, you know, this is a uh, feather in your cap talking about how important coaches are in the NBA. What Ty Lue did, he went behind. Zone. He went behind last night. I'm watching the game, and I'm like, this looks familiar. What are they? Is that the zone? Are they behind it out here? I was like, man, the zone don't work in the NBA. Yes, it did last night unbelievable a professional basketball team and a hall of famer a point guard as i call him chris paul got puzzled by a two three zone a two three zone really that is come on monty williams come on chris paul y'all got to do better than that man y'all can't let a two three zone stop you doing what you want to do like chris paul couldn't get in the lane that basically made deandre Ayton neutralized he couldn't do anything because they basically run a high pick and roll system every single time down the floor so he couldn't get involved so it was really the devin booker show because he's really like the only guy that can get his own shot like that so that tweet that tyloo did another feather in his cap but uh i'm gonna go i'm gonna go with the over i say this goes to game seven and if it goes to game seven it's gonna be a lot of lemon booty out there, man. You it, dudes are gonna be missing wide open shots, shots that they normally make. Like I think the pressure is all on the Suns because Chris Paul has been a part of so many teams out there that had three one leads and gone in the other way. And I mean, it would be fitting for him to go to L. A. and win and then go on to the NBA finals because he had a long career with the Clippers and everything like that, but. I'm gonna go with over.
0: I say we're gonna get a game seven. Yeah, there's some things in sports that we praise guys for that I always find weird. Like uh, the most come from behind wins. Well, why are you always behind? Uh, the most uh, come from you know the most three uh, one series deficits has the highest win percentage in elimination games. Says Tyloo. I'm like, well, why are you always facing elimination? Come on, like figure this stuff out. They're always but, down. 0-2 to know, start. Uh, then you know uh, it's better to have that than to be the Doc Rivers of the world where you yeah. you know. So I guess it's better to be Tyloo than to be Doc Rivers. And coincidentally enough, he took, you know, Rivers' job. So, uh, but no, I think that that series is interesting. By the way, Facebook, YouTube, everyone right now hanging out with us. Who's facing more pressure, the Suns or the Clippers? All right. The Suns had a chance to eliminate the Clippers last night on their home floor. Big performance from Paul George. Uh, You know, he was able to fight off elimination last night. But now they got to go back to L.A. I think the pressure's on L.A. just because you're playing on your home floor. You're trying to fight off elimination. But I do believe it gets to a Game 7. Now the pressure's on Phoenix. So I'm just curious people's thoughts on that. Who's facing more pressure uh, in the final two games? Maybe just one more game uh, as we close out this series. On to number 3, Kevin. We stay in the world of the NBA.
1: Oh, man, it's going down in the Easter Conference Finals tonight. But Trey Young, he is questionable. With an ankle sprain, the Bucks currently lead the series two one over the Hawks. So,
0: over or under this series going two and a half more games. Uh, no, this series is done. It's it's the Bucks and they're going to win the remainder of these games. That says uh, that's taking nothing away from Trey Young or anything like that. I, I mean, look, the Bucks they played okay in game one. It just took an out of body performance from Trey Young to will his team to a win, and that's what happened. We talked about it earlier. It took a near Perfect performance, 48 points, double digit assist. I mean, an all-around game for Trey Young just to beat Milwaukee by two. Who Giannis had 30 and 13 that night. That's exactly what you pretty much expect from him. And then you saw when Trey Young is not playing well, he is that. I mean, he is the Hawks. There it's you know, at least Giannis has some weapons around him. They have some stability around him. And that's through no fault of Trey Young or the Hawks. They're up and coming team. They're not even supposed to be here. So I'm not bashing that team. But at the same time, that is their flaw. They are they go as Trey Young goes, and when he's not having his typical night, they don't play well. It took forty eight and double digit assists to win by two in game one. When he was not himself in game two, they got blitzed and it was over at halftime. So I I just think Milwaukee is the better team. They just seem more poised and under control. Getting Giannis to the finals, that's such a big deal because he has been criticized so much this year and it's going to be cool to see him get there. To have Chris Paul and the Suns potentially get there, or Paul George, who's tried to fight off a lot of criticism as well. There's three players who are just fighting the vindication, yes. that are playing the vindication card right now. And uh, it's going to be a great storyline, no matter who comes out on top for all these guys. So I'm, but regardless, Giannis, MVP, two-time MVP in Milwaukee, they're going to get to the finals for the first time for Giannis' career.
1: I'm going to go with the under as well. I think this is over in five games. You know, one of the big adjustments that I've seen from, the bucks was well not even the bucks from Giannis he ain't shooting no threes like he's downhill every time he's like you know what they can't handle me in the paint like at least you know with the uh, the net series they had Blake Griffin down there fighting them a lot and everything yep. like that but they John Collins can't handle them down there in the paint and they're running a lot of pick and roll with him and Chris Middleton and that's something that they normally wait to do until the fourth quarter you know, they brought that out early in the third quarter because, you know, in the last game, the Hawks had to lead at the half. So the Bucks had to come out and really play some good basketball. And Chris Middleton really came up big for the Bucks in the fourth quarter, dropping 20 of his 38 points. And you know how I've been talking about, like, I think that Chris Middleton is the better player overall. But like Giannis has the wild thing. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, they're, they're a great one-two punch because the things that Chris Middleton does with that pull-up jumper and the three ball, those are things that Giannis does. But Giannis finishes at the rim. So, Giannis as the finisher, unbelievable. So, I say they're going to keep running that high pick and roll with them to start that early, try to get out to an early lead. And especially if
0: Trey Young is hobbled tonight, they're going to get blitz. So, I'm going to go with the under. Kevin Nash brings you over under. It's the Justin Kinner Show with Kev Nash, presented by Orion Sports Medicine. A little over under action, three and two to go. Let's head to number four. We're out of the NBA into the National Football League. We go, Kev. Oh, man. Green Bay Packers are set to kick off their training camp in
1: 28 days. So, over under 25 days before that bad
0: man, Aaron Rodgers, is traded. I still think it's going to be way over. I think that this little dispute between the two um, is far from over. This really comes down to how much money is Aaron Rodgers willing to eat. Because good for the Packers for being stubborn here. As we've talked about, regardless of what anyone's opinion is on player control, what, what percentage of the control should players be, Should, should what share should they have, the N- the green bay packers are not just fighting for themselves they they are there's a lot of pressure on the packers organization not just internally and from their fans but from every other nfl team out there they know it happened in the nba the second LeBron became the most powerful man in the National Basketball Association. Teams have been just totally uh, dissected left and right as far as teams who have you know, who are used to the old way of the teams being in control. The NFL still has that. Mm-hmm. The teams are still in control. Not one single player out there is bigger than the organization they play for. The NFL is one of the, re- remaining, teams, or the remaining leagues that that's still the case. The NBA that was lost uh, almost a decade ago, as crazy as that sounds, I mean, as we sit here in 2021. There's a lot of pressure on the Packers to sit tight here. If you're out Aaron Rodgers for a year, he's 37 years old. He's up there in age. You are you know, at the end of the day, you're closer to the end of your time with him than you are to him being in his prime. This isn't like if this was Patrick. If this was Patrick Mahomes because of Patrick Mahomes' age, get it done. you got to figure it out because there's a lot of great football left. Aaron Rodgers has one to two great years left, if that it's one of those things where are you will are you gonna sell your soul and I will not call him the devil I think that's a bad thing just you know what I mean but like are you willing to sell your soul to Aaron Rodgers for two years and then the rest of the league comes not crumbling down but like it the, the structure will come crumbling down as far as as we know it. I just think that there's too much pressure on ownership of the Packers. They're not going to budge here. It's going to be way over if he gets traded at all. But it really comes down to how much money is Aaron Rodgers willing to eat? Because is he going to? how many days of training camp is he going to skip? Is he just going to sit out the entire season? That's going to be the big question mark as we head into training camp here, which is crazy enough, as we just <laughs> talked about, is not too far off in the distance.
1: Yeah, something I saw today on NFL.com, players can opt out of the 2021 20, season. And not, yes, what's that date? July 2nd. Good for you for bringing down the show. So if Aaron Rodgers is really about that action and really not about playing for Green Bay, he can simply opt out and face no penalty. But the thing about it is once you opt out, you can't opt back in. You can't decide like, oh, man, in October, man, I want to play ball. Let me come back. You can't. You have to sit out the entire season. So if Aaron Rodgers is really about that action, really about that life, not playing for Green Bay, he can simply opt out. Which I don't think he's gonna do. And I'm going way over. I'm standing firm. I'm staying on it. I'm saying he's not getting traded to the Denver Broncos until I don't know what when's the first game of the season? September it's in like September twelfth or something like that. He's gonna get traded like that Sunday before the season starts. He is not getting they they will not send him to any team and unless it is in the worst position possible. Like, if they could send him, trade him the day before the season started, they would. They are not sending him to a new team where he can get training camp and get acclimated, new playbook, meet the players, find a house and all that. No, they are not doing that. They will trade him. We're I believe uncomfortable? They will trade him. You're uncomfortable. Absolutely. They're going to make it just so uncomfortable for Aaron Rodgers as they can. So they're going to wait to the absolute deadline, like the – minuscule. And and something else I was reading, if he decides to hold out and everything like that and decides not to opt out the fines that he'll get for missing training camp and everything like that, you know, back in the day, teams could forgive fines. You can't forgive fines anymore. So, yeah, like, the Green Bay Packers have a lot of leverage in their favor, and a lot of that leverage begins and ends with Green.
0: Yeah, one thing, let me ask you, so when I said that about the ownerships around the league paying attention, What about the play? Who's facing more pressure? Because Aaron Rodgers, the players are looking at him and saying, Man, if you stand your ground and you win this staring contest and don't blink first. Now we get the power. Now it's right. like we're going in the direction of the NF and, and the NBA. And by the way, it's, it's going to get there eventually. The players yeah. will gain control at some point, whether it's now or through the next collective bargaining agreement. There's going to be something there that happens. But bottom line is I, I just think there's pressure on both sides. But pressure always it gets you. When it comes to money, they're going to crack. And the Packers have their money. They have your TV deal money. Right. You know, and Packers fans, they already have all their damn season tickets. It's one of the smallest things.
2: You want more local content from Dayton's ESPN radio station 1410 wing A.M. make sure you subscribe to the WING 14.
0: Alright, we are back, Justin Kinner Kev Nash with you here on 1410 ESPN Radio. We just wrapped up Kev Nash's over under and again talk about college football. NFL, a couple of NBAs, and of course, your Cincinnati Reds, who will be in action coming up later on tonight against the Padres. The last time these two teams went head-to-head in the series, well, it didn't go well. The Reds uh, lost all three games at San Diego, and they're hoping to return the favor here uh, in game one of a three-game series, all stemming from Great American Ballpark. All right, so with where we are currently at right now, I came across this list today. Of course, it's been a, a talking point for a lot of shows throughout the day, and uh you know, I don't think it's that. Like, if this conversation is being held anywhere else in the country, outside of Bengals country, if that's what we want to call this area, I don't think it would be getting as much heat as what it is. I think a lot of people would be shocked about this. But the most complete NFL teams, uh, Mark Ross, an NFL.com analyst, released this earlier this afternoon. The most complete NFL teams heading into the 2021 season. The Browns and the Buccaneers are the two deepest rosters and have the two most complete rosters in the NFL. But the Cleveland Browns come in at number one. They've had a respectable roster now for quite a few years. In fact, really the turning point of the expectations of the Browns didn't really stem from drafting Baker Mayfield and, and Nick Chubb and Denzel Ward. That was the the hoping year. That was the that was the the hoping era that that was going to be the ch- the changing point um, after the Browns were zero sixteen. You fast forward a little bit later. Now, all of a sudden, they have the best, one of the best offensive lines in football. Uh, You know, Nick Chubb's a breakout star. Baker Mayfield looked to be the real deal in in his rookie season. They took a step back. You know, they added OBJ. You had all the talent on that roster. The expectations really shifted towards a more positive light when that when that all happened. The problem is, is the very first year that they got all of that talent, it didn't go well, and it was the typical Browns being Browns type of results that everyone had expected. Everything turned around last year, though. Completely different approach uh, by the Cleveland Browns, and of course they win 12 games. One of those being a playoff game at Kev Nash's Pittsburgh Steelers, by the way. Um, but you know, we saw the Browns go. They took a step in the in the direction that we had been anticipating for a while. By the way, they took a step in the direction that many fans around here told me couldn't happen. The, the Browns could not win with Baker Mayfield. They were never going to get to the play the playoffs of Baker Mayfield. They were never gonna win a playoff game with Baker Mayfield. You know that game that we play where we move the goalposts back and back and back. Browns would never win with Baker, then they win. Never make the playoffs with Baker, then they make the playoffs. Yeah, but they're not gonna win in the play. they they won with Baker on the road at Pittsburgh without their head coach. I mean, come on. Well, they, they, they they're never gonna to get to the AFC title game. Maybe they get to the AFC title game this year. And there's, oh, you're never going to win it. You're never going to get to a Super Bowl. Keep moving that goal post back, and Baker will keep doing what he does and taking care of business. But that's not what this is necessarily about. You look at this deep roster. They added a ton of talent on the defensive side of the ball. I thought that the Browns really hit it out of the ballpark. I know we're talking football. But I love the Browns' approach, Kev. Draft, you know, 0-16. They get finally get their quarterback. They add, you know, OBJ year two. Things didn't go well. But they, they've, the focus in that off season after year two was – our defense isn't going to be great. We have some weapons there, but we are going to put all of our focus on the offensive side of the ball. That's why they drafted an offensive lineman. They went out and signed Conklin. You already had Teller. They had weapons all over. the best offensive line in football, arguably, they had the best, one of the best run games in football. Very talented wide receiving core. That was their whole goal last, heading into last season. Was we're going to fine tune that offense, see where we're at defensively, and then guess what they did this off season? They went all in on the defense. Which, by the way, is what I was really hoping that the the Cincinnati Bengals were going to do. Go all in on the most important side of the ball, being where your most important player is, Kevin, that's you know Joe Burrow. Load up that offensive line. Load up offensive talent. Go into the season with one of the best offenses in football and worry about the defense next offseason. They should have done that. They should have focused all on the offense and then next year focused all on the defense and instead... million later over the last two years, they have a lot of money invested into that defense, and it still may not be good enough to get them out of last place in the AFC North. The Cleveland Browns did it the right way. And now what they have is the most complete roster in the National Football League. I've been saying it since before the draft, heading into the draft, after free agency, everything. Now it's all coming together. Kev, you look at this list. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are on that list. The Buffalo Bills are on this list. So it's the Cleveland Browns one, the Buccaneers two. The Kansas City Chiefs come in at number three. The Chargers, four. Very interesting that the Chargers come in at number four. Again, you have Keenan Allen, you have Mike Williams, you know, Jared Cook. um, You know, they added a lot. Hunter McHenry, Corey Lindsley, by the way, was a hell of an addition because, you know, the Chargers actually value their quarterback. Um, Then you look at the defensive side of the ball with, you know, Casey Hayward. They go to Joey Bosa. I mean, they're all over the place. And then at number five comes the Buffalo Bills. But your overall take on when you hear that the Cleveland Browns have the best overall roster in the NFL, what do you think?
1: I can't deny that. I don't think anybody can deny that the Browns had a great offseason and a good draft and everything like they're doing. Uh, Piled on their season from last season. You know, we talk about the additions that they made to the defense, especially in that secondary and everything like that. But... You also had to factor in the fact that guys did play well on defense. You know, the playmakers did play well. You know, Denzel Ward for all the warps that he has trying to stay healthy when he's on the field. He excels. Uh, Miles Garrett, he excelled, uh, especially, uh, before he had COVID and everything like that. So there are already players in place that were playmakers on the defensive side of the ball but then when you add uh you know john johnson to that secondary troy hill to that secondary as well and everything like that in free agency that boosts up everything that makes people turn their heads and obviously you're taking away from one of the better defenses in the league with the rams you're taking two of their pieces away from them and coming to your team so you look at that like all right good moves but then you also got to look at the draft moves you draft Newsom out of Northwestern you know uh in the first round and everything like that and then you get uh the linebacker out of Notre Dame so you your linebacker was a big issue for the team you know Mac Jones was it Mac Jones uh what is it? yeah it is Mac Jones right Mac what? Wilson Mac, Mac Wilson, Wilson I'm sorry Mac mind. Wilson was in and out of the lineup for the Browns last season so you're expecting him to be better and then you add a, another rookie linebacker so It's been upgraded, and matching everything that the team did last year, you're expecting the guys that were already there to level up even more. So top five, top ten, number one, I can't argue with none of that.
0: What about when you hear that the Browns have the most complete roster over – Tampa Bay Buccaneers, defending Super Bowl champs, bring every starter back on both sides of the ball. Uh, Is that a little surprising to you, considering that the Super Bowl team... And then, plus, you also have the Kansas City Chiefs, who have been to -to back-to-back Super Bowls, splitting a Super Bowl. And you can argue that had that offensive line not been beat up by COVID, we're probably sitting here talking about back-to-back Super Bowls for Patrick Mahomes to add to what's already a very great legacy that he's already started things off with. Right.
1: Um, I mean... We can play that game about, like, well, they're the Super Bowl champions and everything like that, and we can then turn it to the fact that, you know, Kansas City could have been the Super Bowl champs if they weren't out there with, you know, backups to the backups on the offensive line, you know. So, if somebody was to tell me, like, that Tampa Bay had the best one, I couldn't argue with that either. It's very splitting hairs with me, you know. I I ultimately would give the nod to Tampa Bay because they are returning all the starters and they have, you know, the best quarterback of all time and Tom Brady, even though we spent a little bit of time bashing him earlier this week and everything like that. He still has that it factor, you know, those tangible assets that you can't really measure on a piece of paper on stats. You know, you got guys taking less money to come back to run it back. And, you know, we talked about how. Kansas City had that we're going to run it back attitude. Well, Kansas City really wasn't running it back because they didn't return all their starters. Tampa Bay is running it back. They got everybody back. So I just think once you get to the NFL and the top five and that type of stuff, you're really splitting hairs about who really has the best of the best. But I mean, this league is really all about turnovers and quarterback play. Who's going to force the most turnovers? Which quarterback is going to Convert those big third downs and convert those into touchdowns when you're inside the red zone. That's what this league is really all about. Are you going to score touchdowns in the red zone or are you going to settle for field goals? Is your defense going to get a turnover or are they going to give up a big play? And in Tampa Bay's case, they got the best quarterback of all time who always seems to find his way into the end zone. And I, I guess I would give it to Tampa Bay, but if you were to say, like they're saying, that the Browns have the best one, I'm not going to argue.
0: Yeah, keep in mind, I mean, you look at the Kansas City Chiefs, I mean, that roster, that offensive is unbelievable. But, you, I mean, I think when you look at some of these, I think where the Browns, the reason, I, and I've said this before, they're the most balanced offense in the National Football League just because, there are, are there better quarterbacks than Baker? Yes, are there better run games in the NFL? Not really. Are there better offensive lines in football? No. So when you look at the Baker Mayfield's a extremely good quarterback. I can't say he's great. I'm not willing to put him in the great category. He played great the last half of last season. If he picks up where he left off, a year from now at this time, I will say he is a great quarterback, and I think he showed you know glimpses of that last year. But if you have an extremely good quarterback in Baker Mayfield to go with that one of the best offensive lines in football, with arguably the best run game in football, with the weapons he has at wide receiver and, of course, at tight end, that's why I think it's the most balanced offense. You look at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, great quarterback in Tom Brady great offensive weapons when you look at Godwin, you look at Antonio Brown, you look at the weapons he has. Very very good offensive line as well. But the run game's not great. It's not I mean it's okay, it's solid, it's stable. Um you look at the but it's not like the Browns. Like so there's it's very if it's a teeter you totter, know, a, a season, you know whatever the hell they call them. It's leaning more quarterback passing game, but it's not a great run game. The Browns have a – it's a little bit more balanced. Very, very good passing game. Very, very good run game. Best offensive line in football. Wide receivers. The Kansas City Chiefs, same thing. The best quarterback in the league, hands down. Wide receiver talent all over the place. The best tight end in football. The, probably now the best offensive line in football when you look at the fact that they added Orlando Brown, Joan Tooney, they dra- a hell of a draft pick in Creed Humphrey that they were able to get. Mm-hmm. That's a revamped offensive line. I thought that they were really you know hurting themselves. You know, they the Kyle Long, too. So, the thing is, is that that went from a weakness of the Chiefs heading into the offseason after they let guys go to now all of a sudden, yeah. that's their strength. But... Their run game is suspect. It's not. It's strong. It's okay. It's not. It's very similar to, to Tampa where, if we're talking about a teeter-totter, it's leaning towards the side of It's a pass-heavy team. They don't really have a great balance with the run game. That's why I look at the Brown and then even the Bills. They don't have a run game. Great passing game. So when you look at all these top teams right there, the Browns are the most complete because of that from an offensive standpoint, mainly because very, very good pass game best run game, offensive line. There's not a weakness on that offense. You can argue that the passing game is their weakness, and Baker was the third-rated quarterback in the second half of the season last year. And I'm doing what I hate people do, <laughs> take a small portion of the season to make a point, but I am going to make a point of that because it started at the halfway point and it went to the to close out the season. That means nothing if he craps the bed to start. Right. But if he picks up where he left off, then that is who he is moving forward, and that's what's going to be built on. But if he struggles out of the gate and he looks more like early 2020 Baker, I can't make that argument that he is gradually growing into a great quarterback. So it's very important that he picks up where he left off for me to put him in that great category. And I think Bengals fans and a lot of haters out there are worried that that's actually the case. But there's to me, that's why I think they're the most balanced offense and then defensively the pass rush is there if i mean there's a lot of ifs on the defense i'm worried i think there's a lot more question marks on defense but the results can be there there's the, a very good pass rush with arguably the best secondary in football they got a steal with the linebacker they got uh, from from Notre Dame in the second round which many people had him going in the first I just think from top to bottom, both sides of the ball, from quarterback to safety, because, you know, just stretching it out that way. They're actually, you know, me running back, right? Like from the yeah, f- outside. Yeah. yeah. So from running back to safety, they're the deepest team. They're the most well-balanced team in football. I don't get why people are so against it. I posted it today, and everyone was ripping it. Like, There's no way they are. How is there no way? This isn't even really a heated debate thing. I mean, it's not even saying that the Browns are going to win the Super Bowl. They're in position to do it because they have the most well-rounded roster, but all the pressure is on the shoulders of Baker Mayfield. I think everyone acts like, oh, Baker, the pressure's off because he had a good season. No, the pressure's on now because he had a great rookie year, and he took a step back. He came into camp out of shape the next year. He didn't handle success well. We're going to find out just who Baker is to start the 21 season based on how he looks arriving into camp, how he you know, handles the offense for the second straight season with the same offensive coordinator, with the same head coach for the first time in his pro career, There is so many things different about Baker heading into year four that if he takes it and runs with it, we could be talking about a pretty hefty price tag for him when we talk about the negotiations. That could start come Thanksgiving if he, again, picks up where he left off from the midway point of last season to that point. We'll see. And that's the thing you said.
1: I would like to see a breakdown of that, like how we view teams or how they rank teams going into each season for the past 10 years and out of those teams, which teams actually made it to their conference championship game? Because we can think of tons of teams who have had the quote-unquote best roster in the league and didn't make it to the Super Bowl or didn't even make it to their conference championship game. Uh, the Rams had one of those situations. I know uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers back with the A.B. and Le'Veon Bell and Ben days, like they weren't making it to the AFC championship game game either so for people that are like up in arms about the browns being ranked number one uh going into the season everything like that i mean i know i am a show me type of person i know a lot of people aren't like that but it is a type of like okay it you can have that but people are selectively real- show me when it's okay. their
0: team oh they're going all the way baby but when it's the browns not saying you but when it's the browns oh we'll see yeah, we'll I,
1: see. I I am that person through and through. I am that person with my team, your team, the other team. Is okay. Show me. Like I'm, I do that with Ohio State recruiting. Like the the Quinn Earns kid that's coming in, Quinn Ewers, whatever. He ain't a Buckeye yet. So attacking attack it by
0: yeah, like, Coach yeah. Pushes to the Coupo.
1: Look at you. You're I the can best. just spit these names Get off. The best.
0: I can't pronounce the new guy that they're going after, one of the top recruits <laughs> Ohio State. But anyways,
1: but yeah, I, I'm the same way with them. I'm like, yeah, I'm glad they're they're Buckeyes and everything like that. But show me on the field, man. And I know that's a very different way of approaching things. I even think I heard Keith Byer say that one time, like that he he welcomes them with open arms because they're Buckeyes and everything like that. But now you have to prove yourself. Well, I never played for the Buckeyes, so I don't have that luxury. So all I say is like, welcome, welcome to the welcome to the great state of Ohio. Now produce, and until you produce, it's just talk. It's just talk. That's why I don't never really get into recruiting like that, because, you know, highlight tapes are just that they're highlight tapes. They're not going to show you your low light. So produce. And that's what I would say to people that are looking at the Browns with a skeptical eye, like hating or whatever we want to call it. Like they don't have to say anything. Like if they produce, there's proof in pudding. That's all you got to do is produce on the field and, and you don't have to worry about anything else. Like people that are defending their Browns team to other people or vice versa, like people hating on the Browns. Like they'll produce or they won't produce. And when they, if they do produce, you'll be mad. And if they don't produce, you'll be happy. So they got to produce. It's all about what happens on the field. The, the people crunching numbers and writing up articles and everything like that, that's great for clicks and everything like that. But in football and in sports – it all comes down to what you do on the field of play. The field of pl- the, the game ain't one on sheets of paper. It's one on the field.
0: Oh, geez. Here, here we go. Say, Man. One day back. at a time. Cliche Man is back, that Be Baby. the man. You got to beat the Woo! man. You're in mid-season form. Look at you. <laughs> so basically what you're saying is, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, real quick, because in the middle of that, I can't believe I forgot. I get to sound cool here. I get to pump my chest. Had a fun conversation with Mr. Cardale Jones over the weekend. Nice. He had an interesting take. On the quarterback situation at Ohio State. Oh, first hand knowledge. And I will share that with you on the other side. And I can't believe I compl- I forgot about this. It was supposed to be in my notes, but as you were talking about that we'll see method, uh, it got me to thinking about that. Uh, but I need to write it down. My short term memory is bad, so I am going to write that down. I yes. have an app for that. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> and now with that being said, we'll step away for a few moments, but absolutely, the Cleveland Browns, I don't know why so many people have to hate it. It is what is. You're right, Kevin. Now, at, at any point throughout this, I never said they're winning a Super Bowl all I they are the I mean I gave good examples of why they are the most well balanced roster are they the best team we'll see but <laughs> roster wise from you talk about the passing game to the run game to the offensive line to the defense and the weak, not the weaknesses, but there are deficiencies of the Chiefs offense. But Patrick Mahomes is so damn good that he makes up for the lack of an elite run game. Right. Uh, you know, Josh Allen, same thing. Doesn't have a great run game at all, but he makes up for it because he's a hell of a passer. I think he's the most, I mean, Josh Allen's the most complete quarterback in the NFL. Pro, I mean, second best running quarterback in the NFL behind Lamar. And one of the top passing quarterbacks. I think he's the most complete quarterback in the NFL. doesn't mean he – that's a good example. Josh Allen's the most complete quarterback, Kevin, in the NFL. Like, Lamar Jackson's the best running quarterback in the NFL, but he lacks – he's not an elite passer, right? Uh, Patrick Mahomes, an elite passer, capable of running, but he's not a great runner. Josh Allen is a great runner, second best running quarterback in the NFL, and arguably a top five passer in the NFL based on what we saw last year. He's the best, he's the most overall well rounded quarterback in the NFL. But no one's taking Josh Allen over Patrick Mahomes. No one's going to take Josh Allen over uh, Aaron Rodgers, and maybe not even over Tom Brady, which I. Don't know why, but tom that's the aura of Tom Brady. Good for him. He's earned that. So we'll step away for a few moments. Cardell Jones had an interesting comment or thought uh, on the quarterback situation in Columbus. We'll talk about that next. All right, we are back. Justin Kenner, Kev Nash with you here on Dayton's ESPN Radio, 1410 Wing A.M., NFL, high school football, college football, NFL, we are inching closer and closer, as crazy as that is. I mean, at the end of the week, I mean, it's 4th of July this weekend, folks. I mean, this year is (laughs) flying by. Great stuff. Uh, Cardell Jones had a brief, quick chat with him over the weekend at the JR Memorial at Indian Lake. It's a fantastic event, by the way. They had the band out there, uh, alumni cheerleaders out there. They, you know, they even did a little mini, uh, you know, Script Ohio, which was pretty dang cool. Uh, I mean, it was really neat. It's one of my favorite events every year. Uh, Cardell was the guest of honor this year. He was the headliner of all the Buckeyes that were there. You now we're talking about the Quinn Ewers coming to Ohio State. We even talked about it with Bobby Carpenter when he was on the show on Friday. And I said, "I go, we've even done the over-under. I've said that the chances of Quinn Ewers starting a game at Ohio State I think is pretty damn slim. I, I don't think that he ever starts at Ohio State. Not because... Ohio State's a bad program, doesn't want to come here, not because he's not good enough to play here, but I just, I I don't see a path for him to come here and get what he wants out of Ohio State, because you have C.J. Stroud, Jack Miller, and Kyle McCord. One of those guys is going to be the starter, of course. It's most likely going to be C.J. Stroud. We talked about that with Bobby Carpenter, and really, that's kind of, uh, you know, a lot of the main takeaways from Buckeye Camp anyways, is that? But we got to talking about, you know, if C.J. Stroud gets the starting job and, and he dominates in 2021, how do you take the keys away from him for right. 2022 um and people say oh well i mean and, and bobby said it too you know you, you got to do what i mean it's all about winning 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 there's there's more examples of that not being the case than there is that being the case you know i'll, I'll give a lot of credit to Dabo swinney when trevor lawrence uh, i mean who was the quarterback oh why is it i oh kelly bryant yep. kelly bryant was the starting quarterback for clemson maybe for a game and a half they were two games they were undefeated two and zero. Dabo Sweeney took the keys from the car away from Kelly Bryant. Did his job, played very well. They were undefeated, but obviously in practice, Dabo Sweeney knew that Trevor Lawrence is the difference between you know that that Kelly Bryant and, and that Trevor Lawrence is the difference uh, between very very good season with Kelly Bryant at quarterback and a potential national championship with Trevor Lawrence at quarterback. Ultimately, they did go on to win a national championship. They won it in in Trevor Lawrence's freshman season. True freshman at that. There's not many examples of that happening. You saw Nick Saban go to Tua Tagovailoa at halftime of a national championship game. That's cutthroat. That is cutthroat as cutthroat can be. Good for, for Nick Saban. But there are other examples like Justin Fields in Georgia and Kirby Smart. You know, a lot of people believe in what is their quarterback's name? It's driving me crazy. Uh it's gonna irritate the heck out of me. I literally had it in my head before we started. The bottom line is, is you, Jake Fromm. So you you cannot convince me that Jake Fromm is a better quarterback than Justin Fields. However, this I see this similar situation brewing in Columbus that brewed in Georgia that brewed at Georgia. Kirby Smart, by the way, did not make the wrong decision. I know. I mean, he technically did. It's in kind hindsight. of in, in hindsight. It's kind of foolish to say that. Oh, you know, he should have picked Justin. Justin Fields, yes. You should want Justin Fields, um, you, you know, over the quarter. I just said his name. What the hell is wrong with me? What's his name? Uh, L- From sorry, Jake so Jake From, Jake From State Farm. There we go. That's how I remember that. But Jake From, so Jake From. Clearly, Justin Fields is better than Jake From. But the team had chemistry. They had they had, everything was clicking, right? They were winning games. Jake From didn't do anything to deserve to lose the job, other than well, Justin Fields is just better. But when you have one really really good quarterback and you have an, a you know an elite quarterback. It really is hard for coaches to stomach taking the keys away from a quarterback who has done nothing to deserve to lose their job. Right. Urban Meyer did that with J.T. Barrett. It frustrated me because we knew, or at least I knew, I felt that Dwayne Haskins would. They should have gone to. He should have been the starter over J.T. That last year of J.T. You could argue that it cost the Buckeyes a playoff spot. Because Dwayne Haskins, when you look at how he looked in that short stint against Michigan and he was a damn Heisman finalist the next year, you can't convince me that he went from a, a scrubby quarterback below the talent of JT Barrett to a Heisman finalist a year later. That talent was there the year before, but it's hard to take the keys away from a JT Barrett. Right. It's hard to take the keys away from a Jake Fromm. So it's it's tough. I, I can sympathize with coaches. that these These athletes are like their kids. It's tough to make those tough cutthroat decisions. Good for Dabo for doing it. Good for, you know, obviously for Saban for doing it. And they have championships to kind of hoist to reward them for their tough decision making. But in Columbus, that's not the case. Urban couldn't make that tough call. And it might have cost them a playoff uh, opportunity. Could have potentially costed them a national championship. You, you look at the same thing in Georgia. Justin Fields in Georgia probably win a national championship maybe, although you would have had Justin Fields against Joe Burrow the year before mm-hmm. and then Justin Fields against Mac Jones, which we ultimately got this year. That would have been, that would have been interesting, though. But George, the SEC would have been freaking loaded more than it usually is if that was the case. So my point about all of this is, it is tough to make, it's tough to make that decision. And, the, and Ryan Day might have to be in that position a year from now. If Quinn Ewers, the number one quarterback in the class of 22, when he arrives on campus in Columbus, if C.J. Stroud leads the Buckeyes to an undefeated regular season, a Big Ten championship, maybe a national championship appearance, maybe a national championship, Quinn Ewers is not coming in here to sit. Right. He's that from everything that we have heard about him it's it's the same picture that was painted about Justin Fields and about Trevor Lawrence. These guys were just too good to not play right away, which is why I'm adamant that I don't believe Quinn Ewers ends up here. Cardale Jones had an interesting take on this over the weekend when we were talking about the quarterback situation because he had made a comment that some quarterbacks do enjoy just coming to Columbus knowing that they may not be the starter, but The knowledge that they'll gain in one year playing under Ryan Day, even as a backup or as a third stringer, that they could take that knowledge with them to their next stop. Maybe they don't have as great of a quarterback coach or an offensive-minded OC or whatever as what Ryan Day is, but they could take what they learn in that little short period of time, take it with them to their next stop, and build on it the way Joe Burrow did, of course, in Ohio State, who was there much longer. I don't Mm -hmm. even how much time did he get with Ryan Day? He got about a year, year two years with Ryan Day, correct? Two years. So two years. So took what he learned with Ryan Day and that offensive scheme and built on it his one year at LSU, and then boom, it popped. Did Ryan Day have anything to do with that? I don't know. I can't sit there and say of the pie chart of Joe Burrow's success, 25% of it was Ohio State. I don't know, but I thought it was an interesting take. But Justin Fields at Georgia, you know, Trevor Lawrence at, at Clemson, and even Dwayne Haskins at Ohio State and Tua at Alabama, all those coaches were put in a position to make a cutthroat decision. Two cutthroat decisions led to national championships, and you can argue that Kirby Smart and Urban Meyer potentially cost their team national championships by not rolling the dice and making the cutthroat decision. Dwayne Haskins with the Buckeyes over JT Barrett years ago, and Justin Fields over Jake Fromm for Georgia for Kirby Smart. Your thoughts?
1: I'll ask you this. Did you ask Cardale his opinion about the JT situation, and... I mean, look, hey, we, we, saw, we saw what happened. We saw what happens when you replace. Every time JT Barrett gets replaced, you win a national championship. <laughs> um, I'll say this about Justin Fields in Georgia. I think that him coming to Ohio State was a business move. Not only the situation that, you know, Jake Fromm was going to be the starter and everything like that, but he saw, you know, a better opportunity to learn the game of football and get on the field as well, you know who's to say that georgia would have let him throw the ball who's to say what type of offense they'd have been running down there in georgia because it wasn't the same offense that ohio state runs it wasn't a wide open offense that you given the keys to the quarterback it was more of a you know traditional uh i formation hand the ball off three yards in a cloud of dust situation so Who's to say he would have developed as that player that he became at Ohio State under Ryan Day? Kind of like what Cardell was saying, you know, the things that you learn under uh, Coach Day and everything like that. So I'm not quick to say that. Oh, man, you just plug Justin Fields in there because he's more talented. They would have did it. Well, there's no telling how he would have reacted or played in that style of offense that they were running because they're two completely different systems. As far as the JT and uh Dwayne Haskins thing and the coaches are making hard decisions absolutely is a hard decision like you said these guys go into the living rooms of their parents and tell them that they're going to take care of their child for the next Four to five years, and they become attached to these dudes. We see how attached Urban Meyer is to Tim Tebow and everything like that. That loyalty factor and everything like that. Tim so, Tebow
0: gonna be the next damn punter. He'll be the next <laughs> water boy. He gonna be he will be something for the Jaguars because of that loyalty you just talked about.
1: But yeah, so it definitely is tough decisions for those guys to make. Those decisions in the NFL are made abundantly clear and, and very quickly. You know what I'm saying? with You can look at Russell Wilson when he was drafted like in the third or fourth round. You know, they were seeing him to be the potential backup. He came in there and wowed the coaches, wild his teammates, and they believed that he was the number one guy, even though after they spent big money in free agency to bring in uh, the backup from Green Bay to be the starter. They benched him and paid him big money to be on the bench and started a rookie quarterback. So in the NFL and college, they're two different worlds, but slowly but surely they're merging into one of the same. We're seeing that with the potential expansion of the college football playoff, and we're seeing it more with the you know cutthroat decision making by the coaches involved with with Dabo and with Nick Saban as well. So it's the merging of the game. It is getting more and more cutthroat. Further and further along we go. All
0: right, we'll step away for a few moments. In fact, I have a, after all that conversation. Combo, the number one reason that Quinn Ewers will not play a snap for the Buckeyes. I have that for you next.
2: You're local, we're, you're messy, we're Dayton's ESPN radio station. Now, let's send it to the WING studios for Dayton's only local sports talk show. It's the Justin Kinner Show with Kev Nash, presented by Orion Sports Medicine.
0: All right, welcome back. I'm Justin Kinner. He's Kev Nash. It is the Justin Kinner Show with Kev Nash, presented by Orion Sports Medicine. To recap quickly, I'm going to tell you why Quinn Ewers will not ever play a snap for the Buckeyes. And I do want to preface it with this. This is not a, I hate the Buckeyes segment. This is not an anti Buckeyes segment. This is just the changing of times. And I'll explain coming up here in a second, but I want to reset the bet. Or I want to reset the, the, the stage here. Okay. So we've seen in recent years coaches be put in positions to make tough cutthroat decisions uh it's you know we saw it in clemson where where uh, dabo sweeney had to make a cutthroat decision kelly bryant was the you know, tigers run undefeated. there were a few games into the season they were undefeated they were fine there was no re, if you're winning if it ain't broke don't fix it dabo made the tough decision to look at kelly bryant who waited his turn you know as deshaun watson was dominating and they Pulled the starting job from him and went to a true freshman to Trevor they went Lawrence. to the
1: college football playoff that the year before. Yeah, starting quarterback. Yeah,
0: so it's it's like he, he they went moved on from Kelly Bryant because because he was better because Trevor Lawrence was better. And then of course, not only do they get to the college football playoff, they win the national championship. Cutthroat decision. Kelly Bryant did nothing to deserve having the job taken from him, but that's what ultimately happened. You look at Alabama, Nick Saban. To a tag of Tagovailoa, true freshman, halftime of a national championship game, Nick Saban made the cutthroat decision to go to a true freshman quarterback. Because why? Because that's what gave him the best chance to win. Now they could have said, oh man, Jalen Hurts, we appreciate you. We don't want to hurt your feelings. You've worked so hard. All of those things could be true. He worked really hard. He played really well. He got him to that point. But Nick Saban knew... Do I try to protect the feelings of Jalen Hurts, or do I do what's best for the team to help us win a national championship? And we all know how that magical story—you know—that magical story uh, ended, right? Ended in a national championship. Now there's opposite examples: the Ohio State Buckeyes, J.T. Barrett, a very, very talented quarterback. I mean, set Big Ten record, Buckeye record after record after record. I will never look at JT and say he was not a great Buckeye quarterback. He was a great Buckeye quarterback. Dwayne Haskins is just better. Dwayne Haskins should have been the starter. And that last year for JT Barrett, Dwayne Haskins should have been the starting quarterback. But Urban Meyer could not stomach being disloyal to JT Barrett, who had earned the right to play that last season and not have the job taken from him. But you look at the cutthroat decisions from Dabo and from Nick Saban— Those cutthroat decisions led to national championship. Urban Meyer not being willing to make that cutthroat decision led to the Buckeyes not even getting to the playoff. That's a problem, right? Like, you love loyalty. Players respect that. And on the recruiting trail, I'm sure that that was one angle that is pitched. But you left a playoff appearance on the table. You left maybe a national championship appearance on the table or a title on the table because you didn't want to hurt JT Barrett's feelings. That's a problem, all right? You look at Georgia. Jake Fromm, they've won a ton of games with Jake Fromm at quarterback, right? Like, there's no reason to sit there and say that Jake Fromm should not be the starting quarterback of Georgia. But you have Justin Fields on your roster. You mean to tell me, after what we saw, Justin Fields, how he looked his first year at Ohio State? You mean to tell me that he was bad one year, that he was below Jake Fromm the year before, and then magically in his very first game ever against Florida Atlantic, it's 28 nothing, and he had thrown three of those four touchdowns. I mean, he was dominant. Dominic, you mean to tell me that that guy was bad the year before and just great? The na- no, he was that good the year before, but Kirby Smart was not cutthroat enough to make that decision, and it cost him a national championship, potentially. Potentially. Justin Fields goes on to Ohio State, does great things. So my point is, is that there's been examples of coaches not being willing to make the cutthroat decision, and then there's been examples of coaches who have had the guts to do it, and they've been rewarded for it. The coaches who were not willing to do it, they failed. Urban failed not being willing to make that tough decision with Dwayne Haskins over JT Barrett. Kirby Smart technically failed by not being willing to move on from, from Jake Frum, who did everything right. Kelly Bryant did everything right for Clemson. Jalen Hurts did everything right for, for Alabama. JT Barrett did everything right for Ohio State. But the coaches that made the cut, cutthroat decision won a national championship. And the coaches who didn't, well, they almost did it. They almost got there. By golly, they fight so hard. Quinn Ewers, number one quarterback in the class of 22 coming in next year. Everyone can't wait for when he finally arrives to Ohio State. He's not going to play at Ohio State. C.J. Stroud most likely is going to be the starting quarterback for the Buckeyes coming up this season. The only way that Quinn Ewers is the starting quarterback for the Buckeyes in 22 is if Ryan Day makes that cutthroat decision. To move on from a C.J. Stroud who will lead the Buckeyes to a Big Ten championship. They will most likely be undefeated at the end of the year. They will be in the college football playoff. They might even get to the national championship game. They might even win one. And if they win one, you could bet your ass... CJ Stroud will be the quarterback in 2022. Well, Justin, then I think CJ. I think that Quinn Ewers just needs to do what every other good quarterback just wait your turn. Yeah, because kids are patient nowadays, right? (laughs) We tell them how great they are in seventh graders. You're going to be the greatest phenom in the history of college football as an eighth grader. They wait four more years in high school, knowing that they're going to be great, just so they could sit, knowing that they're better than the quarterback that's there now. No, Quinn Ewers will not be the quarterback of the Buckeyes in 2022. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with Maybe. Now, if he's truly better than C.J. Stroud, and Ryan Day does not have the guts to make that cutthroat decision the way Dabo did with Trevor Lawrence over Kelly Bryant, the way that uh, Nick Saban did with Tua Tagovailoa over Jalen Hurts, or he could do what Urban did and didn't have the guts to do it, the way he didn't pick Dwayne Haskins over J.T. Barrett, the way that Kirby Smart did not pick Jake Fromm over Justin Fields. If Ryan Day goes that route, it might, it might cost him. But here's the number one reason, Kev, as I ramble on. <laughs> the number one reason Quinn Ewers will not be a Buckeye if C.J. Stroud kicks ass in 2021. Because I almost forgot the year. Name, image, likeness. Because we all know that these kids are about to make some freaking money, right? You know how much money... The quarterback at Ohio State, the starting quarterback at Ohio State is going to make... day and
1: a half, July 1st, cash for, me out.
0: Yes. So do you think that Quinn Ewers is going to look at that and say, all right, I'm going to go to Ohio State to be the backup quarterback, and I'm probably going to make some money off my social media, but, I mean, imagine how much money I can make as the, the starting quarterback, as a guy that could be competing to be a Heisman finalist right off the bat. If C.J. Stroud kicks ass in 22... It's really going to come down to, does Ryan Day have the guts to make the cutthroat decision? And if he doesn't, Quinn Ewers will be gone. Name, image, likeness. These kids now have a chance to make money. And now, these kids are going to be smart enough to know, oh, I don't want to be patient anymore. Because even if I'm not great as a starter, I'm going to make money as a starter. I'm not going to make money being hidden in the background, coming in when Ohio State's up 85 to nothing over <laughs> Miami of Ohio. I'm not going to make money off of those spot appearances there. I'm going to make money off of being the starting quarterback. So if I can't be the starting quarterback my freshman year, if he lives up to the bill of being a Trevor Lawrence or a Tua Tagovailoa or a Justin Fields, then I just don't see him going to Ohio State. And just to be clear, I'm not bashing the Buckeyes. I'm not bashing Ryan Day. I'm not doing any of that. All I'm saying is, is... This is a good problem to have. Definitely. And we're not talking about Buffalo having to make these tough decisions. We're not talking about Michigan having to make these tough decisions, you know, because I just put Buffalo and Michigan in the same boat, apparently. No, we're talking about the elite programs having to make these decisions. But in all honesty, watch how much name, image, and likeness helps some other schools with recruiting. Some kids won't be as patient to go to a – Kev, I don't think these kids are going to want to go to a crowded quarterback room. They already don't. I I don't want to. But some do knowing that, okay, if I don't get it this year, I could do it next year. But with name, image, and likeness and the chance to make money now, you're basically saying not only am I risking not being the starter, I'm also risking not making money my freshman year to where if I'm the starter, even at Bowling Green or Miami of Ohio, I'm going to make bank being a starting quarterback for any team out there versus being the backup at Ohio State or elsewhere. I think that we might see the end of this JT Barrett, Dwayne Haskins, Joe Burrow. We might see the end of this Braxton Miller, Cardale Jones, JT Barrett type deal, right? Like these quarterback battles of Jack Miller and C.J. Stroud. There's always going to be quarterback battles. There's always going to be names in the room. But I think we might start to see the fading out of multiple Four five-star quarterbacks sitting all in the same QB room battling it out for one starting spot. And
1: that will make the game better.
2: I'm
0: with you. That will make the
1: game better. That will make it better. You know, know, we talk about how the college football playoff is expanding because people are mad because they don't have a seat at the table. Well, if name, image, and likeness causes guys not to go to other schools to compete for a starting position, maybe they'll go to a different school. Maybe they'll say, you know what, it's between Ohio State, Alabama, and Clemson. Or, man... I could just go to Virginia Tech and be – I'm a five-star. I'll just go to Virginia Tech and take it from this dude that's there, and then I can get a whole bunch of other dudes that's like, man, why go there? And you got to work for it. We can come right in here as freshmen and hit the ground running as freshmen, and then by our junior year, we'll be balling and we'll win a national championship. So I think if that's how it goes, it can be better for the sport and more players going to other universities as opposed to going to the same five universities.
0: Yeah, and again, just to preface, because I'm starting to see the, the – and not just on StreamYard, but of course I'm getting some tweets and stuff. I'm starting to see the sensitivity of Buckeye fans come out. And by the way, I'm a Buckeye fan. Look at the shirt. Look at my office. I'm a huge Buckeye fan. But stop being a soft fan base, which sometimes, Buckeye fans, you have a tendency to be. This isn't an anti-Buckeye segment. This is a good thing. If you don't end up with, with yours because CJ Stroud is so good, what's the big deal? What's the big, why, why are we angry? For instance, yes, it sucks that we did not end up with Heisman winning Joe Burrow. But did anyone freak out when Dwayne Haskins was outperforming Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow's first year at LSU? No. <laughs> they won that. I have no problem with Ohio State picking Dwayne Haskins over Joe Burrow. Even though Joe Burrow would go on to win the Heisman, Joe Burrow would go on to win the national championship. To Ohio State with Haskins, Haskins was a Heisman finalist. Ohio State got to the college football playoff but they still made the right decision that year in selecting Dwayne Haskins over Joe Burrow. And that's what could potentially happen here. All I'm saying is, is with name, image, and likeness, with elite talents like Quinn Ewers, I just don't think they're going to be as patient. I don't think they're patient now. But this is going to make them even more anxious with their decision-making, because now not only are you choosing to go to a school where you might have to sit and be a backup for a year, now you might have to sit out and miss some money for a year. Now we're talking about a totally different ballgame that's what this point of the conversation is is I'm not anti-Buckeye. I'm not saying Ryan Day's doing anything wrong, but I just don't see a scenario where these quarterbacks are going to risk the money that they can make off a of name image and likeness because we all know that the starting quarterback at LSU, the starting quarterback at Bama, the starting quarterback at Ohio State and Clemson and Notre Dame, those dudes are going to make bank and the backups, you're going to get some face and TV time when you're up when it's 55 nothing late in ball games. <laughs> It is what it is, and that's how it's going to be moving forward. That's just me. Justin Kenner, Kev Nash with you here on 1410 ESPN Radio. We'll step away for a few moments. Cincinnati Reds, we had this conversation earlier. Nick Castellanos or Jesse Winker. If the Cincinnati Reds can only select one, you could only select one to give a max contract to. Who are you picking? If you pick Castellanos, that means you lose Winker, and if you pick Winker, that means you lose Castellanos. Castellanos is 29 years old is hitting 347 on the year. He's a 297 career hitter. 247 career hitter, I'm sorry. And you have Jesse Winker having a breakout year, but he's a homegrown kid, right? The Reds drafted him. They developed him. He debuted with the Reds in 2017 and is having an all-star caliber season at the halfway point. In fact, Nick Castellanos and Jesse Winker are number 2 and number 3 on total vote getters for the All-Star game. If the if voting ended today, They would be two of the three starting outfielders for the National League. If you could only pick one, who would it be? We'll pick up on that conversation. More Facebook and YouTube answers when we come back. We're back, I'm Justin Kenner. He's Kev Nash, Nick Castellanos, or Jesse Winker. We'll close out that conversation coming up in here in just a moment. Uh, talking about that uh, quarterback situation with you know with the Buckeyes and Quinn Ewers. Again, sticking to my hot take. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I've been wrong a lot in the past. I'll be wrong a lot. Move, uh, you know, I'll be wrong a lot moving forward. Luckily, I don't get paid for being right. If I got paid for being right, I would be. You know, I'd be fired a long time ago. So there's that. Matthew uh, Hedrick on YouTube says, So, Justin, let's make a bet for charity, $100. I say Quinn will be a Buckeye since you think he won't come here. He goes on to say, because I didn't respond quick enough, apparently, he goes, Come on, Kenner, let's make that bet for charity since you know so much. Oh, stop, since you know so much. Maybe I'm reading that with little aggressive, since you know so much. Well, since you know so much that he's going to be there. I mean, my God, I don't even think it's that crazy of a take to talk about how Think that the you know dynamics of college football and athletics in general are going to change things to name, image, and likeness. I don't think it's that hot of a take to have here. I also don't think that it's that hot of a take that everything you read about Quinn Ewers, he's on the same level of a Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. That which is, and by the way, it was such a big deal that Justin Fields wasn't the starter at Georgia. Like people were angry at Georgia that he wasn't the starter. It was like imagine, you know what I'm saying? Like there was a it was a line down the middle of fans that were furious that, that liked Fromm but knew he should have been. What makes you think that that's not going to be the case here?
1: That's In the all. case for Jake Fromm, you I think they were, uh, uh incompletion away from winning the national championship. Like it wasn't his fault that they won; they lost the national championship. You know, mm-hmm. it was the safety for shading to the middle of the field and not staying where it was he supposed to be. Isn't he coming back again?
0: By the way, isn't he back? Jake Fromm's back again.
1: No. Jake Fromm. No, he got. A, he is with the Buffalo.
0: Oh no no. Who's their quarterback now? I'm sorry. He uh, he. The transfer. They got a transfer. The transfer. From USC. I'm sorry. That's who that is. I was like, wait a minute, Jake Fromm. Jake Fromm. <laughs> no, because Jake Fromm's the one that had that racist video come out or whatever. But uh, anyways, it's besides the point. <laughs> shouts so, out to Jake Fromm. Shouts out to Jake from <laughs> State Farm. Jake Fromm. Um, we'll go ahead. No yeah, no. Yeah. Continue your point. You, no no no. I was
1: just saying like so. So if you're a if you're a coach and like you thinking like all right man he just led us to. Uh, the national championship game, and he was also a freshman. He was a true freshman when he did that. So, and obviously, we're not there. We're not there at at camp and everything like that to see how Justin Fields is in taking the offense. And furthermore, good coaches develop talent around their players. They don't try to force a square peg into a round hole and everything like that. So maybe, just maybe, Justin Fields wasn't right for that offense. And he went to a place where the offense was more spread open, more wide open, designed more things for him to do with his legs and get outside of the pocket on bootlegs and things of that nature. And then this past season, he developed more into a passing quarterback and everything like that. There was less zone reads and things of that nature. So maybe, just maybe, the style of offense that Georgia was running was not suited for him. And he might not excel, and I think the same thing can be said about how Jalen Hurts was used at Alabama, because you talk about how J.T. and Dwayne Haskins, and Dwayne Haskins, you didn't believe that he was, uh, he, you believed like he was still better to him even as a sophomore and everything like that, but. The way Jalen Hurts played at Alabama wasn't the same way he played at Oklahoma. I think him going to Oklahoma and being under Coach Riley and that system and him tweaking that system to suit Jalen, his skill set, and still develop him as a passer, I think coaching has a lot to do with a lot of these moves. Like, all right, man, I got to get myself in position with these coaches so they can unlock the tools that I have and so they can be And that's on them
0: for picking those coaches in. That's on them. (laughs) Justin Fields, if you knew that they ran a crap-ass system, why'd you pick Georgia to begin with? <laughs> same thing with Jalen Hurts. Oh, man, I, I know I'm not being used correctly. Then why'd you stay there for as long as you did? So, I see what you're saying, but at the same time, then that's also on the player, not always just on the coaches, which are going to get the brunt, the blame, like Kirby Smart did with the Justin Fields situation. Doug Toby on Facebook says, The big teams with big money backers will find a way to take care of more than one quarterback or freshman four-star athletes. If you can make twice as much as a backup for Ohio State, then why would you go to Virginia Tech. First of all, you don't know that you can make twice as much as a backup quarterback at Ohio State. And, and don't disrespect Virginia Tech, by the way. To act like these programs in Virginia Tech's not Ohio State, but to act like there's not big backers there, you'll still make more money as the starting quarterback at Virginia Tech than the second or third string backup quarterback at Ohio State. And by the way, I don't care how big of a name Quinn yours is, what business in Columbus is going to want to put their money to a backup quarterback? <laughs> like, we, let's be clear here. Dwayne Haskins, we knew who he was a little. We knew the name. Right. We knew it from reading reports about how he looked with, you know, thanks to Eleven Warriors and Letterman Row and Buck Nuts and, you know, all those sites that, that talk about recruiting, right? Right. Like, like, so we know who they are. Like we. By the way, let's, let me be clear. We know who Jack Miller is. We know who C.J. Stroud and Kyle McCord are. But here in about over, you know, two months, we're going to really know who C.J. Stroud is. Right. But we're not going to really know who Jack Miller is or even Kyle McCord. So, why would the. Like, it's. You know, Dwayne Haskins, that time he came in against Michigan and had that, you know, that very interesting drive. Yeah. We had an idea of who he was after that, but we didn't know who he was. Dwayne Haskins didn't become Dwayne Haskins until two or three starts into his run as the starter at Columbus. So, you know, at Ohio State and Columbus. So, again. Quinn Ewers is a name that we are familiar with. We'll read about him on Bucknuts. We'll read about him on 11 Warriors and Letterman Row. But we won't know anything about him. So why makes you think that, that uh, you know, that Byers Automotive or whatever over there in Columbus, what makes you think that they're going to look at the backup quarterback and say, we've got to invest thousands into the backup quarterback for the Buckeyes? No, that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. You will make more money as the starting quarterback at Virginia Tech than as the backup at Ohio State. Backup to the backup. Gotta love it. <laughs> Justin Kinner, Kev Nash, we'll be back.
1: Credit Karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions. And now, with a Credit Karma Money Spend Account, you can be rewarded for good money habits. Plus, when you make a purchase between June 8th and June 30th, you'll be automatically entered to win $1 million.
3: Visit creditkarma.com slash winmoney. That's creditkarma.com slash winmoney. Instant Karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms apply. See rules. Banking services provided by MBB Bank, Inc. Member FDIC. Maximum balance
2: and transfer limits apply. Hammering headaches? Ow. Aching muscles? Ah, ah. Put the squeeze on your tough pain with Goodies Cool Orange. The same fast acting, powerful Goodies powder in a great tasting Cool Orange flavor. Beat tough pain to a pulp with Goodies Cool Orange. Also, blast your pain away with Goodies Mixed Fruit Blast. Two flavors tough on pain, tasty on your tongue. Ah. We made Goodies Fast, Goodies Delicious. All available at Walmart. WING 1410 Dayton. Dayton's ESPN Radio. This is center.
4: Right now, the Hawks continue to list guard Trey Young with a bone bruise in his foot as questionable for Game 4 of the NBA East Finals against the Bucks tonight. For the injury report released a short time ago by the league, if Young does play, he needs a huge night for Atlanta to have a chance at a win, says ESPN NBA reporter Royce Young. Look, I, I don't know how, how he's going to do physically in a Game 4,
0: but if, if he's really anything short of 100%, I... I'm a little skeptical about, you know, the Hawks' chances to even really keep it all that close, really. I mean, especially with the way the Bucks have kind of started to find a little bit of momentum. Chris Middleton playing so well in Game 3. Their defense is swarming all over everyone else.
4: Royce Young on the Hoop Collective podcast. Milwaukee's got a 2-1 series lead. Game 4, 8 Eastern ESPN Radio. Serena Williams denied a chance to win a record 24th Grand Slam title. Retired in the first set of today's opening round match at Wimbledon. She suffered a leg injury after slipping on the grass. First player discipline under baseball's crackdown on foreign substances. Mariners pitcher Hector Santiago suspended 10 games today. He can play while he appeals.
3: We're back on Wednesday and looking back on Game 4 of the Eastern Conference Finals. We'll tell you if Giannis and Middleton continue to be the most dominant duel in the postseason. Keyshawn, Jay, Will and Zubin on ESPN Radio.
4: The more I think about it, while you were here, mild winters in Connecticut versus what we just—what?
5: Well, okay, no, 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 no. Today is the day, and keep that same energy. I will tell you my snow story. Mild winters, no. I saw all of the th- like, honestly, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll save it. I'll save it.
4: All right. You know what? I'm going to be very interested to see how this stacks up for the Houston native who is living in Los Angeles, who did some time in Connecticut. Chanea Goumackay's winter story thrown at the Connecticut lifer, Mike Golick Jr. Going to be very interesting <laughs> to see. How. Again. Went to college in Palo Alto. Went to college in South Bend. You chose
5: Notre Dame. You You
4: said did some time in Connecticut like the state of Connecticut is (laughs) jail.
5: <laughs> That's how most people tend to treat it
4: when they come out here for work. Janae Angola Jr.
5: I'm talking about the snow, but I know everyone's feeling the heat everywhere. Maybe um, except Scott, because it's beautiful out here. Janae Angola Jr. right now on ESPN Radio and streaming live on ESPN Plus. Janae Ogumake, Mike Gola Jr. holding it down, keeping it cool here. And we are presented by Progressive Insurance, and all guests join us on the Good Year Hotline. Now, as always, first and foremost, y'all. We've got more NBA tonight, and I know a lot of people are concerned about Trey Young, his ankle after revealing a bone bruise, but still, this is a Hawks team that has a lot of fight. Bucks Hawks, right here on ESPN Radio, coverage starts at 8 p.m. Eastern time, and we will talk to our own NBA analyst on the call on ESPN Radio in about 30 minutes to get us set up. But before we get to all of that, you know, uh, the NBA talk, and also name, image, and likeness, Uh, Junior, did I ever finish that story about, like, me in the snow like I I didn't realize did I ever tell you guys or no
4: uh, I believe you told us this story Chanae because if memory serves it had something to do with you a Connecticut sun wrapped Hummer yes. and sliding into the side of a house am I correct
5: yeah like the Norwich Bulletin editor in chief who took a stealth picture of me next to her house as my Hummer almost plummels into it after a snow but let's just stick to the heat let's stick to the heat because y'all are hot over there um, and, and uh, but, you know, I wanted to also check on another thing. Like, did we decide on brunch? Like, is brunch officially, like, just brunch? Well, is, is no, it a, yeah. A, a so,
4: masking term? Well, so here was the debate here, because we got on the we got on the subject of this, because Chinea is out in Los Angeles here, where all the cool stuff happens. You get the BET Awards there this weekend, and apparently Meg Thee Stallion had a midnight brunch. Now, everyone was talking about that here in the studio, and I was the only one that looked up and said... All right, so if we're going to be technical about this, and I'm not trying to be a lame, but like you <laughs> like, brunch is by its very definition breakfast and, and lunch. lunch. And so if you were having it at midnight, I don't know how it's considered a brunch in those ways. But we appear to have like, Chanae, is it fair to say that at this point brunch is less a meal and more a vibe? Because that's it what is- it feels like we're at.
5: It is a vibe, even though I feel like any meal that is at breakfast can technically be considered brunch. But I I do agree, number one overall, that brunch is overall a vibe. But if you have thoughts on it, 888-729-3776, tell us what you think the true definition of brunch is. Also, in about 10 minutes, we'll get to discussing more of the overarching themes of the NBA. So if you want to tell us who you trust the most right now remaining in the postseason, is it Paul George? Do you have hope for Trey Young? Is it Devin Booker, Chris Paul, Giannis Antetokounmpo, maybe even Chris Middleton? Hit our hotline, AAA, say ESPN, and tell us what you think, that or brunch. But, Junior, I mean, like, we always talk about our lens of being, you know, athletes from college, Stanford University, Notre Dame, and we have seen... An accelerated timeline for discussing name, image, and likeness. What what weighs heavy on your mind with all of the developments we've been seeing as of late?
4: Yeah, so we got to talk to David Hale about this earlier in the show. Our ESPN college football writer does a great job, especially covering the, the ACC and this starts July 1st, Cheney and one of the things that jumped out to me that he said is he has talked to a lot of athletes and a lot of athletes in women's sports who have been surprised at just the sheer dollar amounts already being thrown around. Like, we're going to see when July 1st hits, deals are in place that are going to go through, and we're going to see immediate reaction to this. We saw Graham Mertz from uh, Wisconsin, the quarterback there, put out a video welcoming everyone and showing everybody his logo, like his personal logo that he's already got put together in some hype video there, Cheney And so the dollar amounts that are going to get thrown around in here are going to be pretty wild. But David Hale also kind of expounded on just how much is going to be changing all at once when we hit midweek. Take a listen.
3: I would imagine, and I've been told, you know, there's several, I think, going to be very high dollar deals announced, um, and probably from some athletes that, that the average fan may or may not know that's um, going to come out Thursday. When As soon as the law happens, that, that's going to be announced. And uh, I am certain that some programs are going to be more than happy to promote, look at what our athletes are doing now. Um, you know, in the same way that you would promote, hey, we have five guys on an All-America team preseason, you're going to be saying, hey, we got 10 guys that, that have endorsement deals right here. And I talked to one uh, advisor who works for one of these third-party companies that, that does uh, NIL stuff partnering with schools and he said pretty much every division one athlete that wants an endorsement probably is going to have access to something now i think some of those endorsements might be as little as like you know a hundred bucks and some of them i would not sh- shock me if we are talking into seven figures
4: jenane junior here oh. on espn radio and espn plus like, yeah, the, like that's Like, it is real money. So for all the naysayers and the people that said it's only going to be a few people and it's not going to be that much money, they're appearing to be wrong on a lot of fronts here. But this is the other side of it, because you and I both had experience being student-athletes, but now you got experience being a professional athlete and on this radio show and someone who's in heavy demand in a diff- like different photo shoots, different advertising opportunities. So how do you think you would have handled this as a college athlete? Because this is something that you've worked through now. This has been part of being a businesswoman in that sense after your playing days here. But how do you think college players are going to have to go about handling this new time crunch?
5: Responsibly. And this is why I wish... As this was turning the corner, and I love that we're empowering athletes, I hope that we're educating them as well. Because, you know, what I know now as a professional is stuff that I wish I was groomed to know coming out of school, coming out of Stanford. And I went to Stanford, right? Like, so the idea that, oh, you probably, you know, everyone's like, oh, you learned everything you need to know by going to Stanford. Well, somebody teach me how to do my taxes. Like, so, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like- teach me how to get the right representation so that I know what to look for when someone enters the room and says, I want to help you with your money. And not get played on that no i haven't got played on that i've got a great team but i'm just giving examples and so back at stanford if i was presented with this world say i was going to be a junior or a senior a star person you know star player on my team i would want to first of all let my team know that it's not going to be a distraction internally right two i would be excited because i know that the reason why stanford women's basketball has a lot of energy is largely because we have great players, and we drive a lot of awareness to what, you know, what we're able to do as a sport, and that helps our school, and I have a piece to play in it. Like, it's funny, I always say this, like, I created a music video called Nerd Nation and Nerd City, and I, don't, please don't, please don't play it on the show, okay? we played it enough here, but I play, made this music video and created this concept that was trademarked by the school and put on their, you know, pamphlets uh, saying also known as Nerd nation and it was trademarked on there. I was like that was my intellectual property I would have loved to have some kind of conversation about well I did this and it generated so much more notoriety and it brought in new athletes like where is my fair share of Creating that because there are other you know people on campus that do create stuff and get to benefit from that. So yeah, like I would be all up in there. How about you, Junior, at Notre Dame? Mike Oleg, Junior.
4: Yeah, uh, Janae, this is the interesting part. Is I was on the other side of this, I was never a star player. But listen, my last name means something around Notre Dame there because of the family lineage. We did well in my last season there. And so the one thing I'll always remember about that 2012 season, we went undefeated, things were going well. Is how busy and frenetic it gets, like a sign went up in the building that talked about ignoring the noise during Which that building? season inside like yeah no inside the uh so the the goog was our football athletic conference in there our, our athletic building in there, mm-hmm. and when you walked out of it. And it said, you know, the things we say here, stay here when we leave here, ignore the noise on the outside, because you started to hear all of that static around there. And for you guys who are in the final four, damn near every year for our women's team, like that's the norm around a lot of those spots. And we hear all the time, this balance of you got to be able to balance the academic stuff with the time management is the word they throw at athletes all Mm -hmm. the time at college. Now this gets ratcheted up because for all of those time balance, for all of that balance of time there. They got academic advisors. They got people that check in with you on that stuff there because the football program, the athletic program, the women's basketball program care enough about making sure you're going to be out there on the court with them. You're going to be out there on the field with them. And so they got people to help out in these spots here. I don't know if they've got lawyers ready to help people go through the contracts that are going to have to be a part of all this year. If they're going to help these players figure out how to pick representation for themselves in a lot of these deals here, what kind of structure they're going to provide and that they're now incentivized to provide. So today, that's the thing I worry about here in the time management aspect of things is yeah, you've got to keep the main thing the main thing because none of it works if you're not working on the field, on the court. But also, is the school going to give you the tools that you need in these new specific areas to make sure that this doesn't become something that distracts the team from their ultimate goal?
5: Exactly. And, I mean, honestly, it's on the professional. If you get distracted, that's just another cautionary tale for the next generation as they come through. And so I'd rather have these problems where athletes learn how to manage earlier and hopefully that affects them earlier than what we experience as professionals.
4: Yeah, Cheney, I think that's a great point is this is going to be a learning process. It's not going to look perfect out of the gate, even though you see all these companies that have come in, third party groups that are going to help this out. They're all doing this for the first time at this level too. And so it's not it's gonna be like the transfer portal, where it probably looks worse before it's going to look better. We gotta stop, not make a full judgment of this right now, and understand they're gonna be growing pains, but it's better because there's options. Options where these players can win. Now, eight 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 seven two nine three seven seven six Triple Eight Say ESPN. I wanna to get to one caller as we've asked about what's going on with brunch. Is it a meal? Is it a concept? What is it? And God love our good friend on this show here, someone who we've gotten to know a little bit. Christian Winfield, who does an outstanding job covering the Brooklyn Nets for the New York Daily News, joins us on the Goodyear Hotline. Christian, what the hell is brunch? Hey, Christian. I was trying to fly under the
3: radar. I thought Christian from Brooklyn was just going to be able to have his opinion. I guess that's not how it works. Uh, brunch is a vibe, man. You, you don't go there for the food. and you get The, the object of brunch is not to remember what you ate. All right, you want to go there, have a good time, go back to the crib and knock out, man. That's, that's, that's it. Brunch is a vibe. If you're going to brunch for the food, you're doing it wrong.
5: Christian, when we saw it was Christian spent with a K, we knew it was you. So our producer messed up on that right there. okay?
3: <laughs> crazy. Oh, man. But if you are coming to Brooklyn... Right There is one brunch spot that I can recommend. It's been the spot for the entire summer. It's called Kokomo, K-O-K-O-M-O. They got some great food, some great drinks, and uh, that's a place where you get the best of both worlds. You get a little drunk, get some good food, and then you have a
4: great rest of your day. See, that is the kind of analysis that we needed on this, and we know, listen, we had Christian on here talking about the Nets and about his pregame meals, so this is a food opinion that you should absolutely trust. So, Christian, we appreciate the help on this one, man. Thank you. Sorry for blowing your cover. Anytime. (laughs) <laughs> 888-729-3776-Triple 888 say ESPN. If you can help us out on this front here as we try and navigate what brunch actually means in 2021. We'll get to that next here on ESPN Radio and ESPN Plus.
3: We're back on Wednesday, continuing on the road to training camp. We'll tell you if Sean McVeigh and Matthew
1: Stafford are the quarterback head coach duel with the most pressure on them in 2021. Keyshaw Jay Will and Zubin on ESPN Radio.
4: So the dream was to build your very own law practice. Be your own boss. Call all the shots. But have things like billing, HR, timekeeping, and all the other management stuff turned your dream into a nightmare? Take charge of your practice with Lexicon. We're the intersection of practice management software and legal support services for your firm. You'll get more billable and livable hours back. Lexicon marks the spot for all your practice management needs. Visit LexiconServices.com slash intersection to get the whole story or schedule
3: a demo. With the Capital One Saver Card, you earn unlimited 4% cash back on dining out or in. 4% back on entertainment or on popular streaming. And now, 3% back at grocery stores so you can make the cake that makes her day.
2: Happy birthday to you.
3: So earn unlimited cash back for going out or staying in with the Capital One Saver Card. Capital One, what's in your wallet?
2: Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details.